0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the remnant from the ashes of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. to all slang facing UN Tribunal.
1: And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. to all slang fully exonerated from all charges by UN Tribunal led by Vince Neilstein.
0: (laughs) You know, is is the tool slang thing the fastest we have ever seen a band start and then get canceled?
1: <laughs> it reminds me of a band from the punk scene called Were back in the day, I, or I think it was Were W H I R R.
0: I think I'm kind of I've heard of
2: them.
1: They had some which name I'm surprised like that. by. They, they were people for they were you know people from the punk scene doing shoegaze worship, but you know one of them said something i don't know mildly unacceptable years and years ago in like 2015 and they uh there there was a big stink about it and they basically just like completely capitulated um <laughs> like j- just like total surrender utter band death um yeah. <laughs> although i think i think they i think they came back in some form but yeah I don't know, man. Yeah, the tool slang thing has been. uh How fast was it? A week?
0: I don't know because I literally. Well, I mean that tells you how how good this stuff works. Yeah, the first time I heard about tool slang was due to their cancellation. I was totally unfamiliar with that band until then.
1: <laughs> no, no. Someone posted it on our Discord like a month ago. So I think they. This is the. Sa- this is how fast it's all been, right? They started to get a little buzz around them. And then, uh, you know, and then immediately got canceled.
0: Yeah, it's I I still haven't actually listened to the music, but I, I mean, uh, you know, we don't need to get into it. But anyone who's listened to the show for an episode or two probably knows our position on the whole situation. So,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, speaking of which, free free uh,
1: tool slang unjustly free to imprisoned. Sl- yeah, uh, free, free the Khmer Rouge political prisoners.
0: <laughs> hey, let's let's not forget that there were a lot of uh, 60s, 70s communists that were pretty pro-Khmer Rouge yeah, that's, back that's in the what, day.
2: That's, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so Terminus co-prosperity sphere. Very funny to use that terminology when we're talking about that. Um, okay, so I got some buddies down in Florida... Uh, good friends of mine, and they heard that I had a podcast. I was like, hey, when are you going to put some var shit on there? And I always said, dude, I I love you guys, but I just don't know how much you know cross cultural appeal it'll have. And they just stayed on my ass, and I was like, all right, I'll feature you in our news section. So, uh, here is a two piece porno grind band from Florida called. <clears throat> Come Soaked Corpse's Leaking Rectal Discharge. Um, Wonderful guys, wonderful name. And honestly, completely coincidentally, uh, we're going to play the final track off their uh, first full-length record called Offended Excellent, which is titled, To All Slang Did Nothing Wrong. So let's go. All right.
2: Single
3: life for me because I chose to be a cheater. Dolo when I start I pull up just me and my heater. My bitch running from my pit bull like he gonna eat her. Yo bitch pussy dry before you fuck, you gotta eat her.
2: Damn it, leave us put that away. You're not supposed to have your penis out when you're cooking.
1: <laughs> well, that, was, that was enjoyable.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're not familiar with this style, this is um, heavily descended from kind of the uh, like midwestern gore and porno grind scene, like mm-hmm. centered around stuff like uh, fuck the ass records or <laughs> festival. Yeah, yeah. By cemetery rap- clay from Cemetery Rapist uh, started fuck the ass records. And uh, this whole scene of kind of like very digital MySpace style, um, porno gore grind, uh, it, it it's really its own community. But there's also, you know, these these wonderful kind of like house festivals that happen out there, like uh, uh, Porn Fields of Illinois, uh, stuff like that. Uh, it, it really is its own scene that's been going on for damn near twenty years now. But. uh it's the sort of thing no one would care about. <laughs> apart from people like me, but it's uh it's it's very interesting, I think.
1: I mean, I'd if I'd go to a porno grind house party within twenty minutes of May.
0: Oh, I've been to plenty of these shows, you know, just like house parties with twenty people there. You know, beating the shit out of each other, drunk as hell, you know, for the band that no one cares about. It's a it's a wonderful time. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, the guys behind this project are uh, wonderful dudes who I've known for probably five, six years now. So I'm happy to uh, feature some of their stuff. But, uh, if anyone wants to check it out, yeah, uh, you can go to their Bandcamp. camp, uh, soaked corpses leaking rectal dischargebandcampcom and I recommend you get there within the next week or so, because, like most of their projects, it'll probably be deleted by the time you hear this.
1: <laughs> hey, and if you're mostly a black metal person, well, they do have balaclavas in their band pick.
0: Yeah, there you go, that tells you everything, you know, they've got a gun, you know, and, uh... These song titles, uh, all 30 of them are really wonderful. So at least you should check that out.
3: <laughs> all right.
0: All right. So, uh, real quick, before we get to our roundup, the usual housekeeping, uh, feel free to follow us on social media. Uh, you can follow me, The Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or The Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Additionally, If you want to contribute to the efforts of people covering stuff like midwest style porno grind you can feel free to support us on patreon or subscribestar three dollars and up gets you access to the terminus prime bonus episodes the newest of which is going to be coming up very soon uh and five dollars and up gets you access to the uh uh, terminus black circle uh, what we call our private discord server where uh usually I say here the things we discuss but honestly it's just been brutal meme lord shit for a few days now. <laughs> so if you want the the most cutting edge black metal memes definitely give us $5 a month and gain access to the the treasure trove of memery that we have available now. <laughs>
1: All right. So do we have to uh I suppose we better tell them the bands.
0: Yeah, well we've got a uh a classic style Terminus episode where uh, the black metal guy has a couple a wonderful sort of pagan black metal features and I've got a couple records to just annoy the shit out of most people. Although, I mean, that's not even necessarily true, you know, a lot of people are, especially after our interview with Nikhil from Anal Stab Wound, it feels like a lot more people are showing their support for the brutal death on the show, so big ups to y'all, but uh, let's uh, let's get into your first half of the show now.
1: Yeah, so these are, this is a, um, yeah, this is definitely maximum black metal guy here. So we're in first with um, Welten Mutter, so Mother of the World, or World Mother, by Odal, out just now on Eisenwald. Uh, this release is a big deal. Odal is one of those bands who don't release material very often, but have been our... Uh, Highly respected by those who know and have had that kind of influence that percolates out through other bands, I think. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, Germanic-y than black metal um, with glorious romantic melodies. Anyway, uh, and then the next is uh, Apogee Ivresse Agony by Autarchy. This is a French band, obviously. Uh, and it's out on Purity Through Fire, which has a, l- a lot of Finnish and German stuff, too. Um, mm-hmm. And this is, uh, you know, I mean, not in totally dissimilar... It's pretty much in the same ballpark as Odal, just a very different approach to it, much more spare. Um, but it is also kind of romantic, uh, nature, hill country black metal. <laughs>
0: yeah. Very, very ruralist, you know, yes. not like Past Noir, but all the people who listen to Past Noir should listen to this. You know? It's
1: from the same group. Of, yeah. Same, same ballpark.
0: Same crew. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my half. Well, we got to open up with the brutal death. So uh, first off, I've got the first record by Undeciphered titled beneath the gentle smile this is out now on amputated vein records a wonderful Japanese brutal death label that has been around for a long time and consistently releases excellent stuff and uh, we've been talking a little bit on the show about how a lot of brutal death stuff these days is sort of like a jazz session you know accomplished musicians coming together in different configurations and in this case we have one of those but it but it features musicians we've all covered on the show before, uh, features Nikhil from Anal Stab Wound on drums, uh, Oscar Ortega from Induced and Molecular Fragmentation on guitar, and Paolo from Ensenith rock on vocals, so obviously with that kind of pedigree we had to cover this record. And then wrapping things up, something a little less well-known, we have the first full-length by Tirodero Des Cadavres, the glorious entrance to the spiritual trance, out now on Iron Blood and Death Corporation. This is a dissonant death metal band, a uh, one-man project from Mexico, uh, featuring a guy who uh, I'm a little bit familiar with from previous work, uh, which definitely takes the diso death style we've covered a little bit on the show to the next level.
1: You could that's one way of putting it. yeah,
0: yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of ways to put uh, what he's doing on that record this but is, this
1: will be this may be this will probably be enjoyable to some black and war metal people if you have a very twisted sense of fun. <laughs> definitely. All right. So, we're leading off the show with Felton Mutter by Odal, out now on Eisenwald. Um, and Odal is a band that probably some of our listeners will like. I know someone in the Discord's a fan, uh, but they are probably more heard of than heard. Um, this is a band that uh, is dear to my heart, uh, but really just from one album. So,. um... That, that I know really well. I should know the rest of it better. Um, but as far as basic background, uh, Odol has been around since... Uh, the first full-length was 2002. Um, so they've been around a long time, and they were sort of... They were at the... Really one of the key forerunners of the modern shift towards much more lush, melodic writing in black metal. Um uh occasional melodies that sound sweet kind of uh a kind of emotional abandon um and their version of it is I think very different from and much more nuanced than the versions that came popular which are more descended from Signor Voland and Vafana and the Swedish and the Finnish bands right but it was nevertheless an important predecessor to that uh and I, I, I would bet that um, a lot of bands in the in-between would have been listening to Odal, including perhaps Fotana. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, who started around a similar time. Um, and you know, in terms of other things that sort of span that gap in that movement towards both sort of more melodic and more or more consonant melodic and more kind of pagan uh, more sort of, pagan themes and a more sort of noble mood you could link them to the dutch scene around heaton's heart um pretty much exactly contemporaneous and uh they did a split with uh back in the day um okay. and i know also that you know this was a band that was uh You know highly respected by the house house of first light guys and a little bit earlier than that in terms of the development of the modern scene i would guess it was an influence on the scene around cavern arvandil necropole this sort of french scene that doesn't get a lot of play but probably will come up again later in the show um and you know for a characteristic of of odol it's just very uh their classic sound is stripped-down instrumentation, strict trio, guitar, bass, drums, maybe a little bit of keys, uh, and uh, raw production, although kind of uh, not in the way you'd necessarily expect, and yet a f- fully elaborated sense of melody. So, what? What this new one, though, is, I think it strikes me as kinda of different from their uh, from their older stuff and y- you experienced you know, your your initial encounter of this record was, you know, when I saw your notes initially I was like, hmm, I, I don't know about that, but then I listened to the record again and I was like, I can see what he hears here, so what was your first, this is your first time hearing these guys, right, or this this guy and girl, because right now the band is uh, the main guy, Token, and his, his wife, whose name is ADD
0: yeah, I've heard um, a, a very small amount of Odal in the past, probably stuff that you've showed to me. Um, uh, but their their name has definitely circulated around in the uh, circles that I traveled in. But you know, you know, a lot of people talked about them as oh, you know, really good folk black metal, which is, you know, for someone like me, it's like oh, you know, I'm sure it is good, but uh, that's not the sort of thing I would ordinarily listen to. Um, this was interesting though, because obviously I'm coming at this from a different perspective, not having been informed by the, the earlier work by the band, but you know, what I wrote in the notes and what you were probably surprised by was me saying, this is, you know, to me in, in a big way, you know, Vakken style, big stadium music. And I don't know how close that is to earlier Odal. You know, like I said, I have very little experience with the band, but this was to me a a really wonderful fusion of kind of underground depth in songwriting with the sort of polished, huge in scope stadium black metal quality that I've come to appreciate more and more. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a really fun listen from uh, from front to back. You know, it's. It's got the the breadth to capture a large audience, but also the depth to satisfy people who take black metal seriously, like us. So, uh, no, I, I like this one a lot, and I think that this is probably going to be a regular rotation for me, and now I'm interested in checking out some of the older
1: stuff these guys have done. Well, cool, dude. I'm glad you like it. Um, and, yeah, I can kind of hear... I can hear where you're coming from on that, because the production on this is certainly very different from the old sound. Uh... And there is also... Yeah. I think I can try to explain... We can try to sort of explain how it's changed a bit. Um, Sure. And to do that, maybe we should listen to some of the old stuff. Uh, But first, I think a thing about the the shift in the sound. It's like... A thing to remember... You could almost think of it as this being a different band now. Because Mm -hmm. uh, it's this you know, Odal sort of revolves around to- to- Token, Token, I assume he's named after, to- you know, Token, but um, but the lineups change and the lineups change in a meaningful way. So there was uh, one lineup on Sturmus Brut in 2002, and then they do their two classic albums, Craft 2005, and Zornas Heimat, 2008. Maybe together those all form a trilogy, but on the latter two, they've got the same lineup. Which mm-hmm. is which has this guy Grohl on drums and Volfeton on bass. Uh then they go away for a long time and return in twenty sixteen with uh Geistus Unruh, which I think means something like Unrest of the Spirit, which is a great name. Um, and uh and you know the uh and he's got at this point ADD is on bass, but the drummer is the same. So there's some mm-hmm. continuity with the earlier lineup. And now, it's just uh, him and his wife, and she's also playing violin. And so, in a meaningful sense, this is kind of a different band from the one that recorded yeah. the the old stuff. There's definitely tons of continuity. They're like, there's literal continuity in the, the in the sense that there's like the lineups are all kind of overlap, but like uh, there's. There's also just like, and there's sonic continuity, but it's it's a different approach here. So um, let's listen to some of the old stuff. Uh, So this is just the title track from Viled Craft. We're about, um, we're a little bit into it, uh, and it is, we probably just heard like the main riff and then the very, then the second riff, and now we're returning to the main riff and the second riff, right, ABAB. changes to the rolling triplets and you get the uh Ah
0: Yeah, when you just, get the Graveland beat.
1: Yes, yeah, it Graveland's pretty hard, but it's there's a little more continuity in the way they're doing it. And uh just the the way that like that descending riff with his just with just the sort of exasperated rasp over it one of my favorite moments and,
0: you you've got you know. a thing for like exasperated black metal vocals just like
2: <laughs>
0: ah, shit you
2: know yeah yeah yeah.
0: like um, waiting in line at the dmv black metal vocals
1: <laughs> it's a little bit more of a triumphant uh you know it's a it's a little more of a triumphant thing but yeah there is kind of a there there's a release to it right yeah it's yeah. uh Yeah, it has to do with that downward feeling. But yeah, so you can hear... That sounds pretty different from the new one, right?
0: I mean, to a degree. But I think that there's, at least to my ear, maybe more continuity than you would expect. Um, Because after listening to this, the thing that I would compare it to closest that we've covered on the show, uh, but in this case, we covered it in a bonus episode, was you exposing me to Crota for the first time. Um, a lot of the same notes are being hit between Odal and Crota to me. Obviously, there's a, a different execution. Croda is a lot more kind of manic and excited and just hyper speed, uh, you know, just like it's everything's firing on all cylinders. But I imagine a, a much more measured, kind of reserved version of Crota as sounding like Odal, and in particular, this newest record.
1: Yeah, maybe more on the newest record, because what Crota has is a lot of those like simple heavy metal harmonies, the sort mm-hmm. of maidenisms, and you can hear that this does not have that, right? Even though there's a lush sense of melody in it um
0: no not was, this first sample but this new record the new record, record
1: does that. for does for sure yeah so on this old one right what sets this really apart their old material is that they have this like uh maybe unlike a purely riff oriented uh black metal band right they have this real kind of romantic symphonic influence sense of true melody right these melodies that have uh that unfold over a number of measures that sort of uh, grow organically within the riff and from riff to riff. And they have this sort of like harmonic depth. There are little subtle modulations within each riff and then between them, you know, there was an actual key change in that part. Um, But also very, very metal set of the sense of the riff. Like pretty much all those riffs were instantly recognizable as riffs, individual units. They were all sick. Maybe the build riff key change was a little bit of delayed gratification. But, um, you know, each riff is supposed to have its own kind of immediate impact. They stand out very distinctly from each other. If you listened to the rest of the record, you'd get this sense. It's just like, holy shit, this is more great riffs than most bands write in their life, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's blocky in the right way
1: yeah it exactly it adheres to classic black metal ideas of form but it's filling in each of those sections with very skill skillfully developed and carefully linked things exactly yeah, yeah. so it's got yeah so you can you can tell here's a riff here's a riff here's a riff it's like uh in between metalish and more kind of ambitious composition this new one simultaneously seems more heavy metal and more invested in this kind of complete wagnerian way of composition like uh, yeah this
0: this record hangs together as a single unit very well which is interesting given how like i describe it as very like like very stadium like in its presentation and i think that that's i think that's one of the biggest strengths of this record in particular uh, is the ability to fuse, you know, the expansive sort of, uh, you know, a forest for the trees, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, view of black metal with the immediacy and, you know, those kind of like gripping peaks and valleys of big stadium metal in particular.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's kind of taken the original, you know, original Odal is very like black metal, black metal, black metal. Like it's black mm-hmm. metal persons black metal, and this has sort of developed it in either way, right? Where like structurally it might be, you know, uh, structurally this is attempting some similar things to like the bands on, uh, you know, the kind of Hessian firm bands, like Into Oblivion yeah. and Into Oblivion and Kromlech are both really into Wagner, right? But mm-hmm. this is. A different approach to that so okay let's I'm almost thinking I, I think we should start with my sample just because it gives you a good sense of sort of the default mood but uh, yours will okay. probably capture more of the stadium vibe um well, let's start up to
0: you what do you want to do
1: yeah since we've been talking about it go for your sample
0: okay so uh, we'll go a few tracks and uh, this is off a track called shot and um, And this is interesting. This one really grabbed me. Uh, this is right from the beginning of the track and, uh, what the, the kind of notes that this hits on remind me a lot of sort of, uh, there was a period in the 2000s where there was a lot of kind of folk power metal. And a lot of that had little brushes of say Melodeth or black metal, uh, within it. Um, and what you're going to hear right at the start is a melody that not a lot of people could get away with it. It is very primary color, as you like to say. It's very epic in the most traditional way. It's very major key. It's uh, beautiful. But what makes it land and not seem cheesy is the harmonic depth of the riff under it. You know, we're not talking about you know kind of pop punk placeholder shapes. We're talking about serious riffing to go alongside this big glaring violin melody um so uh let's just go to the beginning of that track
1: well you've sold me so yeah let's go (laughs) all right
0: So that really lands both because of the harmonic depth of the riff under it, as well as the contrast with that sort of stormier, more sorority oriented, gnarlier riff after it. And then it doesn't just go back to that main melody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I mean, it would be very easy for bands to construct an entire song off that main violin melody, Mm -hmm. but they don't take the easy route here. It's like, let's do a kind of complicated series of, you know, straightforward, uh, complex black metal riffs after it. And I think that it, you know, it's like I was saying up front, you know, you've got the the huge Vakin moments in this, mm-hmm. as well as these sort of deep, kind of endlessly transitioning tremolo riffs that are really only fully appreciated by people who listen to this shit constantly, you know?
1: Yeah, that's fair. So uh, a thing I was thinking is that there really is kind of a trading thing going there. Mm -hmm. So you've got that moment with the very, you know, it's like you've got that moment with the very catch, immediately catchy, kind of classically. I mean, I would never have associated O'Dall with folk metal, but Mm -hmm. um, I think based on this, right, if you just heard that part, that is exactly the kind of melody you'd get on like a good folk metal record.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, even, I would even associate it deeper with certain stuff, like, uh, there was a lot of deeply uncool, like, folk metal stuff that came out in the mid-2000s, the stuff that didn't get huge, because that was a bad era of terrible folk metal getting huge, but there were certain things that popped up in that era that were great, like, for instance, the uh, something I always come back to is the very first Elven King record, which is a sort of... Uh, power metal meets folk record but with a lot of really deep detailed kind of uh, Celtic melody woven throughout it. Much much more expansive and much more developed than most bands of that ilk. And uh, they seem to be accessing a lot of similar ideas too. I, I think a lot of this band's heart, at least on this record, is in a lot of very uncool stuff from the 2000s that cool people realized was actually cool the whole time, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Um, I I think I see what you mean there. It's got the, um, yeah, it's got this quality of like things like those kinds of violin melodies have a quality of like, it's definitely not exactly folk music. It's been full. It's been metalified, but it's been metalified by people who know what actual folk music is Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: have this experience of writing, black metal that is at once less folky and often sounds more like folk music um if that makes mm-hmm. any sense like less less of like sort of overt folk melody but um but yeah so they know how to do this um and the interesting thing i heard there was there was a kind of trading like uh so he's going he he's doing kind of odal riffs classic odal riffs under that violin the violin mm-hmm. goes away the classic odal riffs come to the fore like you said that series of constantly sort of like you know that series of more sort of more forceful constantly developing black metal part corded melodies right and then mm-hmm. we drop into the violin part again and then again we get a more uh this time all kind of more dissonant kind of black metal riffing that that ends that sample right and there's like a sense that um m- m- I didn't pick this up so much on the first couple of listens, but I think I get the sense that there's like actual kind of duo playing on this record. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, it's, I, I it's think it's less he... like
1: it's let you might initially hear it because the violin isn't prominent throughout this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know a lot of the core writing moves around the guitar, but it's actually more like it's not just like the violin is an embellishment here, there's kind of Trade-off duo dynamics, and usually when one is playing in the forefront, the other is still doing something important in the background.
0: Yeah, it feels like full band playing, even though it's just two individuals.
1: Yeah, there are there are got to be more than one guitar part here, right?
0: Oh, there's there's like three going on. Yeah,
1: it's very rich guitar harmonies. It would be yeah, they they will need some extra musicians if they actually want to play this at Vakken. Um, yeah,
0: which they should, because I mean, yeah. this would, this is definitely, I mean, that, that opening violin melody. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am chugging the
2: yeah. the <laughs>
0: shitty, I am chugging the shitty local mead that bought you its way it. onto the festival. You, know?
1: you, you ordered the boot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I ordered the boot the of das mead. Boot. And yeah. I, I ordered it at like 1 p.m. and I'm going to regret it for the rest of the day. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, you could definitely slosh some mead to that. Um so yeah so that is that is cool um uh I'll play then my my first sample this is um this is just off the off the second track um and you can hear another way that this sometimes comes close to sort of bigger bigger venue less sort of less cult notions of black metal is that in some ways it gestures more towards Norwegian sounds Right, hmm. towards just sort of classically black metally riffs. Um, uh, so in uh, Helvok you can you can hear a bit of that, and then you'll also you'll get yeah, and you can hear how there's a little more uniformity between each riff, between the riffs than there is on the old Odal stuff, where it's it's less riff driven, more sort of repetition of a set of underlying ideas that sort of develop in different ways. Um, So we're going to start in a lot of these have like mid song stuff. A lot happens in the middle of the songs and it's usually important to the end of the song. So we're going to start there.
0: Alright, so I, I definitely see what you mean in terms of this being more like deep cut black metal, but that's I mean this still scans as very vocanable. That's, no, no, that's, that's the, what I
1: meant. That's what I that's meant. That's new
0: you, that that's our new adjective, voccanable. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well no, no, that's what I meant is that if you're moving from sort of uh, underground heathen black metal with a strongly defined regional aesthetic which is what this mm-hmm. guy had before, right? Extremely German sounding, sort of highly focused, rooted in folk music rather than rooted more in in the most sort of pagany y aspects of black metal, Um, m- with a different kind of melodic bass from what is classically thought of as black metal. Well, mm-hmm. at this point, if you're going for this sort of bigger metal sound, at this point, like, the norse Second Wave is part of that. So like, yeah. so at the beginning you get, we got just a little bit of it because it just isn't that interesting as a riff, but we got that kind of sort of darker immortal riff, you know, you get, <laughs> sort of triplet, right? you get well, while, you while get we were triplet, playing it, triplet chug with the kind of a uh, triplet chug with the kind of sort of dissonant chords over it. And then it goes into a really powerful, very kind of Odal riff that just sort of mutates and develops for a while until we get to that uh, with layering and layering until we get to that solo section.
0: Well, it was it was funny you said that because, you know, while I was playing, I was like, you know what I'm going to compare this to? Immortal. And then you didn't I was late immortal. I keep ah. coming back to it like that is like especially that little chug section the, the sol- That's
1: in the solo, yeah.
0: 100% sons of northern darkness sort of technique there. Like, post At the Heart of Winter, when they went straight, like, brutal, trad, heavy metal. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the vibe right there. I think
1: you're right. I think you're right.
0: Yeah, and then even when it goes into that kind of, like, keening, like, held lead guitar section, that could still be off that record. Yeah. No, um...
1: Not off Sons of Northern Darkness. That's too pretty. But, um...
0: You'd you'd be surprised. are
1: Are you... No, I mean, I know... Wait, are you talking about the blasting part where the violin comes in again and there's the big payoff melody? Or are you talking about violin? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's what I mean. The big payoff they have, melody.
1: They have things that are that major key sounding on uh on, on Sons of Northern Darkness.
0: Surprisingly close. Uh it's usually the songs that people don't pay attention to, like on the back half of the record, because Sons yeah. of Northern Darkness has basically become like it's One by One and Tyrants and maybe the title track, but there's there's five other songs on it that have a lot more stuff going on. And uh, yeah, that definitely reminded me of a lot of the stuff that goes on there.
1: Interesting. Yeah, well, you keep talking about that one, so I need to go back and listen to it. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, you can basically hear how that delivers on a big, beefy metal sound in a way that's different from their old stuff. You know, they're always... Yeah. One cool thing about this band was that there always was chug, but it was mm-hmm. this more kind of, like, earthy, woody-sounding kind of chug with that old kind of, like, raw but very warm tone. So it was more like mm-hmm. a kind of, I don't know, more like almost... uh you know, kind of thumping your guitar or doing that kind of like organic palm mute stuff when you're playing flamenco or whatever. You know what I mean? They were kind of folky chugs, right? And yeah, that,
0: no, uh, I get that.
1: It, like used as this rhythmic punctuation, but here there's just chug, right?
0: Oh, yeah, and I, I think and, that's just a, a difference in production that you're hearing. Sure, it's sure, probably, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the, the chug stuff that's going on here is probably what they were always going mm-hmm. for, but we're a little limited by in terms no, of production.
1: No, no, I don't think so. Uh, um, because so? no, they're, they're rhythmically accented differently on the older stuff. They're used as more sort of punctuation and kind of builds and punctuation. They're not really timed. The, the rhythms aren't for heaviness in the same way. Um, okay. and they're, uh, the rhythms are not for heaviness. And you have to remember if you're making in this school of cult, raw black, if you're in the school of underground heathen black metal, you're not limited by production because that's the sound he wanted right Mm -hmm. like that's that kind of the you couldn't the sound on Wild's Craft is one of the most unique uh, one of the most unique sounds uh, on latter day black metal I think in terms of production and they clearly thought about it it's just very um, it's after a very different thing a different kind of sonic richness from this like this this record is very kind of loud in the way that you would expect you know a big metal album to be yeah
0: that's fair i mean i i think that i mean when we talk about production we talk about this being a lot more polished i mean in a certain sense this is i mean the recording methodology might not be any different on this this is really just like the kind of sound you can get at home now you know
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's uh things have progressed a lot and very rapidly as uh, recording techniques become more accessible to even underground bands, so I mean, this still sounds like something that could be done at home, and I'm, I I bet that a lot of the previous Odell stuff was recorded in a similar method. It's just uh, things have progressed just that much.
1: Oh yeah, I'm just saying this doesn't sound sort of garagey or organic in the same way. Um, yeah, I got it that. It doesn't have the kind of uh. There was a, a whole different sense of what good sound is on that album.
0: Definitely. So uh, let me get to my second sample. Uh, obviously staying with the kind of stadium theme for me. Uh, here is where we get something a lot closer to what we talked about with Crota on one of our bonus episodes, mm-hmm. where the uh, the essence of kind of traditional heavy metal, which seems to come to the forefront here and there on this record... Uh, this is off the second-to-last track called "Velten uh, Giflecht.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and it's going to be kind of similar to my first sample. It's like, okay, here's a big moment that would be really hard to land and take seriously, but they pull it off here, but in a slightly different way. So let's listen and discuss. I So this does something that I really appreciate when some of these kind of, uh, you know, bigger in terms of scope of the music black metal bands play, which is introduce an idea with a big melody, keep a trace of it and transform it through a sequence of more straightforward black metal riffs and then kind of merge those ideas together in another big moment. On the back end of a passage and i think that's exactly what happens here you've got something that's very much like a, a trad metal riff up front they keep a trace of that melody uh permutating through the sequence of tremolo riffs and then when that double bass rips in at the end of the sample you've got the the merging of all those ideas it, it it's a really it's a very neat and very straightforward way to progress through a sequence, but one that's incredibly difficult to write out. You know, unless you are a consummate songwriter like these guys are
1: Okay, I think I can hear them being brought back together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's um, just a
0: cool part. I, I don't have much to say about it. It's just like, oh, that one really grabbed me. It's like, oh that's Yeah. I mean I mean that's kind of like the way Stadium Black Metal should be, you know? It's like, okay, there's these huge moments, but they are brought together through intense developmental riffs between those big moments that are just as interesting as the huge obvious stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I can't say I love the sort of brighter lead guitar part there. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> it's Yeah. No, no. I mean, that, that, that almost sounds like a bit of a plateau to me um but it's i mean you know i just don't like sounds like that particularly right okay. but it's it's um it's got but the but i accept it as part of the song right and part of the mm-hmm. developmental process right and uh and the way it dives in to that yeah that's
0: very wagnerian
1: yeah yeah sure well what it Yes, and also, more than that, what it really is is Greek. Um, Mm -hmm. It's referring to, this is another, like, nod to the Norse stuff. You know, when he's younger, he's trying to distinguish himself from the Norse bands. Now you get all these, like, little homages, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't say homage without making it sound pretentious as shit. Uh, (laughs) So, um... uh, Homage. Um, The, uh like, right, the Norse bands, you know, I mean, I think Emperor was the first one to, like, really do it, but also Burzum was doing it at the time, too, right? They just constantly rewrote, like, the Hall of the Mountain King riff. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da Da-da-da-da-da-da-da It's, um, it's got the, uh, you can just hear echoes of that kind of Norse sense of melody there, um, in a pretty cool way.
0: Yeah, no, I, definitely. I, I mean, you know, we are. Even though I'm not a big fan personally, we are still reckoning with Emperor and uh, the way people interpret pieces of Emperor. Um, and I think that I mean the kind of black metal that really references Emperor is not the sort of thing I'm usually into. But I think this is a case where they're taking the best, most kind of essential parts of that band and yeah, yeah. wrapping it into something that appeals to me more.
1: Yeah, it's early Emperor it's like, you know, that melodic idea was existed pre-Nightside for them Oh, of you course, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, yeah, so it's, uh, for sure and just that sense of scope and ambition, you can hear that as an inspiration here, for sure right, but um, mm. yeah, no, no, no wank here um, I also agree that on passages like this, I hear the Crota parallel much more on this new stuff than the old stuff. Yeah. I think that I think it makes a lot of sense because Crota also—I almost gave Crota short shrift earlier. Crota has the chops to do this elaborate classical style composition, and sometimes he does it. But he also has this instinct to like uh, just pull out all the stops and do the big, the big heavy metal thing. And this mm-hmm. record definitely works like that
0: yeah I, and that's one of the things I love most about Krota is like it's got like a punk energy to it. It's like he he's got this embarrassment of riches in front of him and he just yeah. he, he can't he can't fucking whip him out fast enough
1: you know? <laughs> that's, that's true. yeah this is all yeah I mean I suppose a difference would be that Croto loves just whipping us back between high contrast passages and mm-hmm. this is much more interested in sort of continuity. But this like, is much
0: more patient, reserved, mature yeah. music.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Crota will be like, okay, here's the riff that literally sounds like Emperor, but twice as fast, and uh, you know, and then uh, you know, here's your flutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the entire right. way I've been writing black metal my whole life is just like, <laughs> oh, what if we did the cool riff, but faster? You
2: know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so um here's just um There are some big peaks on this record. I think the title track, Weltenmutter, which is, you know, the two-thirds of the way through, has a big peak on it. And I think it builds very nicely to a climax. Um, uh, This is on the last track, Erden Zeit. Um, And you'll get some really cool of that more subtle, kind of high-intensity harmony work. And then it releases into this riff that is... If you think back to that sample... Uh, you know, the, the, the sample from Wildcraft, you'll hear a kind of classic kind of Odal riff, big, big classic Odal riff um, on, as the sort of release for this. And I think it's a cool, cool thing to bring back in at the end of the record. there's another place where they do that effect you were talking about on your uh on your last sample
0: yeah bringing the two melodic ideas together in a big
1: way yeah you got the kind of at the beginning yeah I I should have said at the beginning of that sample yeah there's that more sort of bright folky riff with the kind of yeah right lots of leads Mm -hmm. and then that yeah that comes in with the more uh yeah, it fuses. It fuses with the big blasting riff at the end. I think you're. I think you're right. That's a technique they use throughout here. Um,
0: I mean, I. I think one of the because I I really like this record. I think that this is going to be regular rotation for me. Um, and like I said at the beginning, I definitely want to check out the earlier stuff too. But I I I think I'll come back and this will probably be my favorite, because. What this does in an interesting way, Um, we've talked about it plenty on the show, the sort of hegemony of like Finnish and French and Ukrainian styles of, uh, you know, kind of melodic riff writing, Mm -hmm. Uh, they've just become black metal now, you know, Mm -hmm. at least in this moment of time, that is the standard from which everything else deviates. And I think as a result, we've forgotten a lot of these sort of riff forms and melodic gestures that were very common back in the 90s and the 2000s. You know, it's like it's it's old technology that we're unearthing again. But on a record like this, it feels immediate. It feels fresh. It's different from everything else because of how kind of traditional and elegant it is. Um it's 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 surprising to say that something that is so close to sort of early to mid-2000s black metal is extremely refreshing, but that's exactly what this is. This makes me want to pick up the guitar and play with these sorts of keys and scales that I've always been familiar with, but I, I've never really played myself because I've been playing in the modern style for so many years, you know?
1: Well, that's, that's pretty cool, dude. I mean, yeah, I think it has something to do with... Uh... You know, if you go back and listen to the old records... I, I, I still feel like I like the old stuff better, but mm. I think I'll, um... But, you know, I mean... S- such, is, such is the way of the world, right? Um... <laughs> uh, you know... Such and is start, black metal. Yeah, if you start with the... Exactly, I'm just... I'm gonna be that guy. Um, But this one is definitely great, and I suspect that... I, I suspect that this will grow on me over the course of the year. Um i I think i um I think at the beginning I found the sort of uniformity of it a little bit um it was just different from what I was expecting, right and I think uh it i but I knew instantly when you hear the depth and the composition, you know this is working subtle variations on related themes um it's not about giving you big riff, big riff, big riff in the same way as the old stuff, and it's gonna um I think it will. You know, just just on the third listen-through with you right now, it's already yielding a lot more. This is a little one, Gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right. And we are back from that uh, classic in the making of uh, sort of uh, vast Central European uh, pagan black metal with another record of fast Central European pagan black metal. Um, This is uh, Apogee Ivers Agony uh, by Autarchy, that's with an I-E, and a single C, no H, on uh, Purity Through Fire. So uh, this band has been around for a while, and they're part, as you set up at the beginning of the show, they're part of this sort of... uh, French scene that's a little bit distinct from the French scene that gets all the sort of attention in you know, in the modern American black metal scene and the various kind of Americanized black metal scenes around the world, right? It's all about the LLN and pretending not to listen to Signor Vallant, right? Um,
0: (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I would say there's kind of like Two or three French black metal scenes, and it's kind exactly. of like one well, yeah, shock test. The, yeah,
1: yeah. So there's the LLN type stuff. There is, um, you know, there's your your senior volans and your bakiras and your oskalamen foms who are chivalric. Yeah, you know, we kind of yeah. People people claim. I, I think you know the modern vampire people like LLN and that, but it's kind of its own mm-hmm. set. Right, you have the modern chivalric bands like Veilhams Véhema, and you know Arlac and and all that, and mm-hmm. then you've got the um, you've got the orthodox bands, right, and then over here you've got the kind of rural you know rural secessionist French black men, mm-hmm. right. Um, so this is kind of Pest Noir would be the flagship for these guys, but um, there are other bands I would say. Autarchy is one, also Mahash. Um uh-huh. and these bands, right, they also are, you know, that classification that someone in our Discord came up with, Street, that we applied to Ceylon Valonan, could also yeah. apply here, I think, at least to some of those bands. Maybe not so much to this one, but there's more of a, uh, in all of them, there's a little more roughness and solidity than is common in the other kind of more melodic French stuff.
0: A lot um, of French stuff tends to be very airy in a good yes. way. It's very yeah,
2: exactly
0: yeah. Floating you you don't descend from the mountaintop, you 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 move <laughs> you move perpendicular to it. You float across the sky from yeah, the apex yeah. of the mountain, I, you know?
1: I agree, yeah. Even yeah, even the stuff that's like Yes, it's very sky. Very, whether it's, you know, yeah, yeah, very maybe very flying vampire or very sort of, uh, you know, uh, very sort of uh, nightly banner flapping in the wind kind of thing, right? This is more, yes, this is all stuff very earthy stuff in a way.
0: We should know? come up with a, uh, we should come up with an, an elemental black metal grid. Like, oh, what yeah. are the bands that are air yeah. or fire or water or earth? That would, that would be neat. That would be a fun little thing. Yeah, and yeah, French true. black metal is entirely air, bottom right corner air on the grid. Except, you
1: know? except for these, yeah, these bands though I think are which are a little more earthy, right? Um,
0: yeah, they, they they fall in the middle of that spectrum. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, Autarky are from a region of France that uh, you may not have heard uh, a lot about. Uh, they're from a city called around a city called Besançon, which is in Franche Comte, which is a region right next to Switzerland, so sort of uh, kind of central and very eastern France.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, it's a mountainous country, um, and interestingly, it's kind of similar, not dissimilar. Maybe I'm stretching here, but it's not dissimilar from the kind of country that Odal are from. They're from Thuringia, mm. um, and yeah. so these are. This is all kind of. Um, uh, there's this kind of spine of forested upland that goes sort of north, northeast through Central Europe. Yeah, because uh,
0: Thuringia, Thuringia is the, the mountainous region of Germany, where it's like as associated with the mountains.
1: Yeah, and so you start from saw which is like these, these French mountains, I think the Jura mountains, that are like a lower range leading up to the Alps, and mm-hmm. you just follow this spine that goes up... Uh, Goes up and it basically goes up directly towards Thuringia. Also related to that would be the area Potterborn, where the German band Horn is from. Oh, okay. Um, and I feel I feel like that band is related both to Odal and to this band. But um, yeah, so Autarky is. Uh, that's yeah. So that's where I'm going. Actually, this is one of the most Teutonic sounding French things I've heard in a while. You can hear that. Any, in, almost any individual riff on this, you could say, yeah, that pretty much fits with French black metal. The basic riffian form, okay, these sort of like uh, pretty consonant, noble sounding, sliding two or three string chords, you get a fair number of those. But it also, a lot of the tones are kind of Germanic, which makes sense. You know, kind of these Alpen melodies, which makes sense because they're near Switzerland. Um, and, you know, in some sense, almost more part of that cultural region right then maybe more in Mm -hmm. common with that than with you know paris or whatever right um and uh and the other thing that is noteworthy about it i think is that uh it's not structured like nowadays black metal this record is extremely epic but in an old sense of the word Mm -hmm. so it means that like uh Nowadays, epic either means, people can use it in the most vulgar sense of the word, to just mean, like, lots of pretty melodies, right? They yeah. Mean, like, okay, so it just means, like, sounds like summoning or something, right? Um, You can use it also to mean lots of different things, highly, you know, elaborate structures that are either highly episodic or highly developmental. Lots of very different sounding things happening, right? Mm-hmm. This is epic more in the sense of early Norse black metal, especially enslaved, Um, like early enslaved. Um, A a smart thing I once read in an enslaved review years and years ago was someone pointed out that the songs are structured kind of like Norse sagas, right? Or you could say ancient, just any kind of ancient uh, heroic literature, right? It might actually. Mm-hmm. So the sagas you can like follow generations in like, a, uh, you know, an Eagle saga. You can follow multiple generations, and you can watch these rhythmic repetitions from generation to generation that slightly change, right? Or uh, if you read the Volsung saga, you can get the. Uh, again, there are this, like th- three main parts of the story, and there are all these kinds of echoes and repetitions within them and so Enslaved had these ways had these songs with these just sort of massive blocks with a lot of repetition within them change the block go back, repeat the earlier block you could make like an 8 minute song out of 3 riffs mm-hmm. um, and so this has a similar kind of quality like like, uh, this is uh, you know, just like the, the last Odal record was, that we reviewed was pretty epic, right? Yeah, More in this Wagnerian sense of continually flowing, changing melody, organic development, very German, right? And this is much more in the kind of enslaved sense of monumental. Just these, uh, and yeah, long, monumental songs, lots of repetition. Um, And I found that quite interesting. What did you make of this one?
0: Uh, This is a very... A very strange case, and I I pride myself on this being a very rare occasion, where I respect everything these guys are doing, uh, I appreciate it, uh, but something about it just doesn't really connect with me. Um, uh, everything I say on this review as a disclaimer should not be a dis-recommendation of the record, because I think it is I think it's quite good for what it is, but there is something on a very personal level that doesn't really hook me in. And very unusually for me, it's very hard to articulate exactly what that is. There's just a certain spark that's not leaping between me and this record. And I've got a couple ideas of what it might be, but in general, uh, this is a case where You know, this represents a lot of the things that I really love most in black metal. I think that, in particular, this bears a closer resemblance to uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, which is Herolorn, than nearly anything from the French scene. Uh, For those who haven't heard, wonderful pre-Deathspell Omega project. Uh, One of my favorite bands, one of my favorite records. Um, Now, this one kind of left me cold... In a strange way, because there's almost nothing that I can point to directly to say, oh, this is the flaw. I would say it's more uh, kind of abstract structural things that are uh, hurting my appreciation of this record. But I'm kind of interested in hearing this stuff again with fresh ears and talking to you and seeing if I can figure it out a little bit more or develop more of an appreciation for it.
1: Okay, um, yeah, so let's go to the, so how this album is structured is also quite unusual relative to nowadays stuff. Um, instead of a few long songs or a bunch of more digestible songs, we get like uh, a 10-minute epic at the end, beginning, 10-minute epic at the end, and some pretty long tracks in between, right? This is almost an hour, Um <laughs> So the pacing here is much more early 90s. Um, The first main track is called Nation. Um, uh, This is a really long song. It's 11 minutes, so it's going to be a long sample. But we're going to start in on this kind of, uh, I guess you could call it, the core riff of the song. A lot of these songs are really written around one riff. Here it is. Um, Imagine they've been playing it for about a minute already. So that last riff, that sort of like the, the thing they do a lot is they have like two or more variations on one basic idea, and especially the first version of that last riff, the duh 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 duh. duh it's hard to um because the harmony is really important there, but um, that really sounds like an old Odal riff, and I kind of guess that this. Band is actually influenced by those records, like uh, like craft Um, uh, it it has this kind of, not just in terms of the harmonies, although I think in terms of harmonies like that, where you get get this kind of like rising by sinking quality, um, mm-hmm. and this kind of uh, movement, this sort of very stern but very elegant style, to um. Also these. little kind of counterpoints that pop up throughout this there's like the low there's some low end part that keeps going that i'll talk about more in my next sample that i think sometimes it's a bass and maybe sometimes it's a synth that keeps coming back contrapuntally that often does very very like odol kind of things um but also in the tones this has like pretty warm kind of is is woody the right word earthy tones
0: (laughs) I mean, it's all a matter. I don't know anything about production.
1: Yeah. Don't know anything about production, but this is a pretty like, this is a very warm, organic sound that is sounds. It's it's easy on the ear. Honestly, it's just very different from conventional like polished production.
0: Yeah, I can hear that. Um, I feel like the production might actually be a sticking point for me. Uh, one of the reasons I don't really connect with it because it seems to. Live in a kind of liminal space between big epic black metal production and a really raw kind of uh, you know use your imagination thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It it kind of it, it sits in this middle realm where it's like hinting at a sort of like really polished expansiveness, but it would also work as something. A lot more primitive, just kind of ripping and distorted, and uh, it, it's it's a strange space for this music to be in because you know a lot of French black metal exists in one of those two spaces, and this sort of mid-range just doesn't really do it for me. It just it, it feels a little bit flat to my ear.
2: Yeah,
1: well, I mean. I hear what you mean about French black metal. That's a good observation. It's either really raw or really polished, usually. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's another thing where I think, like, maybe if you just. St- I think this record doesn't really work like most of our ideas of French black metal. Um, this isn't even that's structured fair. like a. It's not even structured like a Passe Noir or a Bez Mahash song because those, there's. Well, Bez Mahesh has their own very weird way of structuring songs, which is this whole other thing. But, you know like past noir, right? There's always like a you know, there's always a new always a new fiddle falling off a mantle, right? Or something like that.
0: <laughs> or a, you know? or a breakdown, you know. Yeah,
1: a, a, a bre- hardcore breakdown sort of goats bleeding um uh <clears throat> whatever, right? There's always something happening. Um Yeah. This is much more comp- I mean, I think in terms of the production, this is more like early Norse stuff. Like imagine the Yes early Greek Holland stuff, right? Where, like, you have to... Like, with pre side. Well, specifically, pre side Emperor or the Enslaved on that split, which is just... I always come back to it because I know it well, right? But mm. uh, those things, like, they, they sound... There's a lot of room in the sound, and they do sound big, but you have to turn them up.
0: Yeah. No, I, I would say that the, the production world that this lives in is an invisible album between the emperor ep and in the nightside. <laughs>
1: I I hear what you mean. Yeah, I mean well, also Viking liner Veldi, right? I yeah. think this is like that that might be a good a good analog for both the structures and the production quality. Um it's a little more, you know, it's definitely a little more gauzy in the tones, a little more kind yeah. of atmospheric in the tones than the Norse stuff. Um, and I hear what you mean by the flatness, but I think that has to do with the kind of canvas they're trying to paint. Like, it's very even because there are these very long, landscapey songs, like one of those landscape paintings that, like, ticks up half the wall, right?
3: And, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: And there's got to be this continuity to it. But I understand what you mean. This is a kind of... I get why the production doesn't hit with you. I think, for me, I hear a production like this and I immediately think, oh, shit, this is, like... This is the real shit. Like, no, I get
0: yeah. it because yeah. that's that's how I feel about uh, certain very flat, like mid '90s death metal production, uh, where it's mm-hmm. like,
1: yeah, yeah it's, we're, it's we're, a black metal yeah. person, death metal person thing. Like, there's just specific specific things that are very much that style that we like.
0: Yeah, a lot of those earlier mid '90s death metal records will have this very flat, very dry production, but in that case, it's like. Uh, I think of it as, like, forcing you to concentrate on the riffs, like, Mm -hmm. really hard. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit different because those are typically going to be more technical, more involved riffs, where, you know, you really benefit from being, you know, held to it and forced to listen to it. Here, um, things are a little bit more still. But at the same time, um, to kind of pan back and talk about my issues with this record as a whole this track and the following track in particular feel a little bit cluttered to me. Like, it feels like there's a, and I respect it, there's an effort to make an epic, sort of perpetually changing black metal track in a way that I really appreciate, but there's a a kind of inorganic quality to a lot of this, where it, it's almost as though to me at least, it feels like the band is attempting something really ornate and really complex and really involved, but uh, as we'll get to on my samples, uh, I feel like this band is at its best when they're kind of chilling out, when they're in simpler, you know, more relaxed, more repetitive territory. And there's certainly repetition on a track like Nation, but... um, I just feel like this is a band where their greatest skill is in a a more relaxed sense of playing when not aspiring to these huge heights when sort of like doing the peasant black metal thing you know three riffs over a few minutes jamming them out and just letting the music breathe more and I think that might be one of the things that i run up against on this record
1: yeah that's i think i get what you mean because they run through a lot of variations at the beginning of that sample Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: i hear tracks like nation or the long track at the end or the, the one right after it which i like quite a lot maybe more but is more difficult to sample uh, La France Profonde, which is this concept of, right, deep France as being this thing that's almost completely distinct from the city, cities, mm-hmm. uh, right, where there's this, you know, even despite the world wars, you know, there's cultural continuity back to Charlemagne and some of these places, right, uh, yeah. so so France Profonde, cool title, cool track, Um these are, I think, highly repetitive in a way that I appreciate. I think, like, Nation is really repetitive. It just constantly... They just throw in these variations over the same basic chord shapes a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then you get to the back end of the song, and it's just the first riff over and over and over again. The back third is basically one riff that has one variation on it. Um, yeah. I So, I, I mean, I get... Is it possible that, like... It seems to me like the songs where there's more happening are the ones you chose, which I think are also very good. But those, to me, scan more like... You know, I was going to choose Regnum Francorum if you didn't. Um, hmm. uh, but, like... I mean, that has some fantastic, just sick riffs in it. But don't those work a little more just like classic riff-oriented black metal? I feel like Nation is not... The big sprawling ones are not riff oriented And maybe yeah. you just like Maybe you just like the ones with the big riffs
0: I, I think that might be part of it um, You know Just to simplify things is like I, I think there are tracks on this record Where things uh, They constrain things A little bit more And I mean you know me An 11 minute French metal song Is catnip to me That's like oh that's that's everything I want In my life Period, but uh, no, I I think these guys are really strong when they're doing stuff that's a little bit more compressed and a little bit more to the point. So let's let's go to my first sample of uh, Regnum Francorum. Um, this is the track where okay, this is the record kind of hitting its stride. The first two songs didn't really do it for me, but here we go. Uh, this is where my ears really perked up. So we'll go about a minute in there, and we'll find some stuff that again is. Very similar to as I said earlier, Heralorn, uh, but a little bit stompier, a little bit more contemporary, and uh, there's there's a lot to love here.
1: swords and the big riff
0: <laughs> you mean all the parts on this song
1: yeah um, sure. lots of big riffs yeah
0: yeah th- this this might be my favorite track on the record
1: it's certainly the riffiest um
0: it's very riffy it's um again this is the probably the most hear track on the record um and you know, short of me describing it, you would probably be better just because you heard it for the first time last year. Um, and I've been... How long have I been yelling to you about uh, Legends of Evil and Eternal Death? <laughs> A long time. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, how would How would you describe that to the listeners? Because I, I, I've i got all this, like, baggage associated with it. How, how would you now, let's describe that? Let's see.
1: I, I don't... I think I don't have the best way of describing their... I think, like, if you want, like, if they're, they're like, fully elaborating, bla- elaborated blasting melodies are, like, the anset, are an ancestor of the modern chivalric stuff. Um, you can yeah, hear it that's fair. Influencing this sort of, uh, wide scope, technically proficient stuff like our lock and Vea Um, you know, it sounds very noble, very sort of glorious and futile. However, um, and certainly one of the earliest bands to be doing this sort of continuously flowing melodic stuff, I think it turns out even before Toke? Um, Yeah, possibly. Yeah, so... um, So, yeah, so... um, That is... uh, That's one part of it, but the other half is this kind of like gloriously clunky mid-tempo stuff that really sounds like RAC, but like the parts of RAC that are the most like just European drinking music to the point where <laughs> they could, to the point where some of the riffs have this kind of like um, you know heavy metalized dumbed down folk melody quality where they could basically be like the final countdown riff or something.
0: Oh yeah you, like, you, you described it basically like, like there's like glam there's stuff almost there's <laughs> like what? There's like glam stuff. Yeah, no, almost. like
1: there's like Scorpions riffs, right? Uh, yeah, and, not, and I'm not talking about early Scorpions because we all know late Scorpions is where it's at. Big <laughs> city.
0: Yeah, no, but I I think I like the um, like I really love that super involved kind of arpeggiated passage. I mean, there's like, like on this track, getting back to Autarky oh,
1: is the part that comes in right after the swords with the triplets, the triple time.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that's fucking awesome. There's so much depth there. And I, I think that maybe what I want from this band is I like the the depth they have and the sprawling compositions, but what if we compressed it down into a handful of super deep riffs played? Uh, just an unbelievable number of times but there's so much depth there's always something new to hear in them i think that's where this band is strongest like i i feel like the elongation of some of these tracks is to their detriment i think this is a band that benefits from a more constrained palette to work with you know
1: well, it's constrained in different ways. You like the songs that are shorter that have the less constrained melodic palette. Um, that's,
0: yeah, I, I guess that's correct, yeah.
1: The uh, uh, You know, I mean, I think if there is a way to move... Yeah, I, I think this is a... I'll have to see how I feel about this one over the year. Um, mm-hmm. It could be that the riffing in some of these parts is so understated that it doesn't exactly stick, but I think I this is something I could see myself listening to a lot um, I okay. find it authentic and highly listenable. Um, it's, uh, but you know, it is true that especially on Nation, I think you could take some of those riffs and change them out for other riffs, and it would still be the same song, and it could be better.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that's more to the point of what my issue is. It's,
1: it's like um, uh, some of these some of these riffs are playing a purely structural role, where. It's more than a place yeah holder, yeah, where it's more than a placeholder, but the form of the riff itself is kind of arbitrary. Um, yeah, no, I I
0: wrote in the notes. I think one of the things I like so much about uh about Regnum Francorum is that all the riffs feel very bespoke. You know, they they feel like they can only exist within the context of that song. Versus some of the other tracks, it feels like you could swap things out. And it would be the same thing. And there's there's a certain appeal to that. There's a certain sort of black metal structuring that benefits from that. But here, it's just like, maybe these guys are at their best when they're at the most out for me, you know?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I kind of liked that modular quality of it. Like, um, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is cool. They're less interested in riffs than... I think this is very subtle. It's like, oh, they're less interested in, you know riffs that in structure and they're using these kinds of deliberate kind of deliberately spare riffs so that they can introduce these small variations over these long repeated passages i get that but i i like the 10 minute songs but i think (laughs) i think maybe they could bring together there clearly are two sets of songs the sprawling and repetitive songs and these songs that are more punchy uh, Punchy and narrative, exactly. Um, yeah. And and more based around riffs themselves. If you could somehow, inter- maybe neither of us exactly can say how to do it, but if you could draw on both sides and maybe, st- uh, if you could combine the very strong riffs at the middle with the monumental structures, I would be very interested. That would be my version of it. Maybe you would want the shorter songs with fewer shorter songs with fewer riffs but all the really good riffs.
0: Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. I yeah, we're we're talking pure theory here so yeah, let's yeah. go
1: on to yeah, your it's, next it's, sample. It's, yeah, it's only a thing that the band would have to work it out, right? But there are very yeah. clearly yeah, we we obviously it's not our job to far be it from us to presume to write their records for them. Um definitely. This is uh but yeah, there are definitely two song sets and the next step might be integrating them. So, um Here's one that's, I think, um, maybe somewhat in between the two sets, but I think more on the epic side. This is from Le Bardi Desardis, or something like that, Le Bardi Desardis. Um and uh, this is a very weird part. I swear there's something that sounds like a bassoon in here. Um, it must be a synthesizer but listen to a sort of low-end counterpoint harmony really important to the big riff here uh i've really never heard anything like that like placed in the sonic space like that and i really like it so let's go So did you hear the bassoon? I, I didn't exactly.
0: I, I think I know what you're hearing because, uh, it's something we've talked about a little bit. Um, when you were listening to some music that I recorded, you know, several years back talking about hearing these kind of like ghost harmonies whenever there's enough, uh, kind of reverb and delay in the mix, uh, I think that might be what you're hearing there. Um, uh, Because people forget that music has kind of like a physical property to it, and you know, the sound waves, and those can be manipulated. And at certain intervals and certain, uh, you know, kind of mathematical arrangements of those frequencies, you'll get these sort of spikes of ghostly harmonics in there. I think that's probably what you're hearing there because I kind of heard it too.
1: There's some ghost harmonies in there for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think what's producing them there's a whole separate melodic line that is very low and almost sounds too low to be a guitar. If it's a guitar, and it's produced, there's some I think it's a single. If it's guitar, it's just single string trem and the sort of. Multim- Beast- Woody so, like, like 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 yeah, or whatever distortion on it. it is just making it sound sound in this big round kind of uh, oh. big round oh. Oh. One, big, yeah. buzzy way. There's there's, 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 there's the one there's, there's, there's the main melody which is also pretty low on the fretboard like da
2: da da
1: da 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 and there's a counterpoint to that that's actually lower than it and that's competing almost for the same sonic space but is single melodic line and it sounds almost I mean it's got this uh, sort of fat squelchy quality the only thing it's definitely a case if it's guitars it's definitely a case of using guitars to make string or brass or woodwind sounds which is something that Odal does a lot too in some sense, Udall yeah. always had a violin in the band. He just used to be playing it on guitar, Yeah, accidentally. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of. I think it was. I think he was going for a tone that sounded kind of, you know, symphonic. Like he would, on the old stuff, you could hear parts where it really sounds like there's a violin there, and it's just there just isn't. It's just how he's playing the guitar. Um, and this seems to be something like that, maybe where you're getting a big beefy you know bassoon or alpenhorn sound from a guitar the only thing i've heard that makes black metal guitar sounds like that is Vulcanus, <laughs> which is uh, really on the different different end of the uh f- very different end of the spectrum you know sort of total reptile brain crazy you know uh pagan but in the sense of live in a cave wearing a loincloth right um yeah the right um, kind of pagan <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh um So, uh, so I don't know, but I, I, I thought regardless of what the hell that was, I thought that was a lovely passage. The main riff is quite good, but it's definitely a very elegant play on a, you know, kind of a troped folk melody, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's
0: very horn. horn.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, I think horn is the ghost band, the ghost, the ghost harmony in this episode or in this first half of the episode is horn. Um
0: yeah. I I can definitely see that Horn has a similar kind of alpine feel to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, similar and also actually, actually Horn on their earlier stuff would also make somewhat similar uh bizarrely rich uh single string guitar sounds. Um like Horn sounds. But like um But yeah, I think that part is glorious and very good in large part because of the counterpoint. And uh, I like that and they should do it more. Uh, Always make the bassoon (laughs) sounds. Um.
0: All right. So I'll wrap things up real quick with uh, my last sample. Um, This is just a display of the band doing very traditional kind of French black metal riffing. But uh, I think this is sort of the ideal form of the band like do simple kind of primordial French black metal riffs, give them time to gel. And uh, yeah, this is off a uh, Gladio Vivre, Gladio Moretur. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this is one of my favorite moments on the record. I man you got two kinds of french black metal riff you got one riff it's really glorious and chivalric and then you got the other kind of like peasant stomp riff and they do that for a minute apiece, and that's that's the song you
1: know? <laughs> well i think i kind of figured out so i that was the at the end that was the bassoon sound again in the counter okay. point, and i realized okay that is a stringed distorted instrument and it's either just a guitar. It's either that there's no bass and they're playing what would be bass parts with highly distorted low end guitar, mm-hmm. or that they've got a bass and they're somehow making it sound like a guitar. But I think what they're doing is there are a lot of places on there with like secondary riffing that's kind of like a bass line being done. On oh, a super
0: okay. Th- now I know what you're referring to. Yeah, I, I think that it's just. I think they're possibly playing a guitar in the place of a bass.
1: That's what I mean. You know? Yeah. I think that's what yeah. they're doing, which is really cool. Um,
0: yeah, there, there's, I, I've heard of some bands doing that, just like kind of like, we don't have a bass, so we're just going to ghetto-fy it and just play like low root notes on a guitar and maybe pitch shift them, maybe not, and just go for it.
1: But yeah, but this is turning it into a whole technique. I mean, I've... I've actually, I've done this kind of in a band where it's like, there are, there's two guitar, there's no bass, there's two guitars, and both guitars are playing the riff. Like, they're just different riffs. And this Mm. band has that where, like, there's a free-floating counterpoint melody quality to the lower end. It's like, it's like they're using the guitar to do bass things, but it's much more nimble than you would expect a lot of black metal bass to be. Um,
0: Yeah, there's no clunk to it.
1: Yeah, and it comes through. Yeah, that's the thing. Often the bass gives that, yeah, that kind of thwub, you know, the wub sound that anchors it. Um, there's none of that. Because it's a guitar, it cuts through a little more as a riff.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know, man. I just, I, I really fucking love those two riffs. That's like, oh, that is everything I want. You know, and maybe it's just a matter of it being more traditional French black metal.
1: Yes, I mean, every riff, every riff you like, you say it's a French black metal riff, and so, <laughs> so what you want is this band to sound more like a con- traditional French black metal band. I think, Um
2: yeah,
0: possibly. I, d- I mean, well, to be fair, it's like I think that's where their strength lies. I mean, it's not just a matter of like, oh, I wish you guys were more normal. I think they're better at being more normative, mm. in a way. I, I think they're very strong, traditional and not even traditional because I think a lot of this reaches well back before Seigneur Valland before French metal was broken up into these certain distinct ideas. Uh, I think they have uh, they've got a real access to these primordial ideas like circa 96 you know, that well, were that's, French metal.
1: That's even before here, Um Exactly.
0: I think they've got access to the primordial ideas of French black metal, and do, I think do, they're at their strongest when they use that.
1: Do we know any bands that sounded like that from then?
0: Ah, oh, fuck, man. I would, I don't think. So. I would. I, I would I mean, have to do some digging. I have to think about. It. I mean, there's. There's. I mean, there's Lln of- stuff that approaches it accidentally.
1: You start to get it basically in ninety I'm just doing Metal Archives. It you start to get it literally in ninety seven with Hero Lorn and Crystal Knocked, basically. Um
2: oh, yeah. But, yeah.
1: But um but I get that this is yeah, there's something about the riffing that does not sound I, I agree that the riffing sounds like it's coming directly from the source. My I think we yeah, I think we have different feelings about what's good about this record. My feeling is always like develop develop the unique thing um Mm -hmm. but uh you know uh that's that's for the band to figure out um this i guess my overall impression would be this and i think maybe this is something we can agree on um this band clearly has something good going on and there are some very distinctive there's a distinctive sound there are distinctive ideas on this record it's probably going to take one more step of uh development in terms of how they want to structure these songs how they want to arrange the riffs that will probably lead them to a a really really good record
0: We are back after uh, some Herolorn, which I was very surprised to see that we have not played on the show before. Um, Alright, so now we're on the back half of the episode. My territory. And all of you can just click the little X on the tab right now. There's nothing you're going to (laughs) like.
1: In fact, I'm going to do that too.
0: You should. I mean, just (laughs) just leave this one to me. (laughs) So, uh, typically when we write notes... Uh, about uh, about these records. You know, we'll do the notes for our samples, and we'll also just do a general note, usually. And uh, I forgot to come back to my general note as I was doing the, uh, the sample notes for this one. And uh, I was left with a single sentence regarding <laughs> Undeciphered's Beneath the Gentle Smile, which is... Holy shit, this is like listening to a shotgun fire four times a second for half an hour. And I don't know if over the course of this review I'll be able to come up with a better description of this record than that. I mean, what... what, would you would you agree? It is basically just a an automatic shotgun going off for the entirety of this record.
1: <laughs> yeah, I read that. I read that, and I was like, oh, so this is good, right? And then I played it, and it's it's a bit of an endurance test, but yeah, it's good. Um, and I also uh, what I wrote under it was just you're you're getting really good at finding the right stuff, as in like, yeah. as in there is we're now refining what the terminus brutal death slash uh, ob- ob- obnoxious death metal sound is. <laughs>
0: like. Well, I I mean, I, I figured out what it is. For Brutal Death, to the top of the pile goes anything featuring Oscar Ortega on <laughs> yeah, guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, for those who haven't listened before, uh, we've gone back and forth regarding Brutal Death. I am the death metal guy, and more importantly, I'm the brutal death metal guy. Um, so Oscar Ortega is a Spanish guy, I believe, uh, who is, uh, the guitarist in God knows how many brutal death projects I like probably 20 plus, you know, uh, he's almost a, I'm not going to say a hired gun because he takes a lot of care on everything he does and he's doing a lot of the writing, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh.
1: More like a, I, more like a super predator.
0: Yeah, he is a super predator. He is the apex predator of brutal death guitar, and uh, we've covered a couple things that Oscar's done before, uh, like the induced record that you really liked, as well as yeah, the hey, molecular, the molecular fragmentation record that you also, also enjoyed really a
2: lot. Liked.
0: Yeah. And now here we are with the third one, but now we've got even more threats in the room. We've got Nikhil from uh, Anal Stab Wound on drums, and we have Paolo from uh, Ensenithrock and Copromesis, as well as plenty of other projects uh, on vocals. So, as I always do when we cover ultra-brutal death metal stuff, what was your impression of this? I always like to throw it to you.
1: Yeah, um, I like this. Um, Let let me see. I... I think, um, I think I think I like Induced and Molecular better. I, I remember finding some of the riffs on Molecular really catchy in a way that Induced obviously isn't. But I still think mm-hmm. I think that retrospectively, I still think Induced is my favorite. Um, uh, for those to get people up to speed, Induced is just this thing that's kind of marginal even within Brutal Death, in that it kind of sounds like War Metal. Um, mm-hmm. It just lives in this very special territory of music-adjacent music, which uh, we will return to with the next record. Um, (laughs) uh, Molecular Fragmentation is more like down-the-line brutal death, but both of them are defined by these kinds of uh, keening, whiplashing, raw, heavily distorted trendlines that kind of... uh, things people brutal death is often very clinical and the stereotype is that it's sort of clicky and sterile which I've learned is often not fair um, and those are very different from that and they access whatever black metal black death metal sensibilities that I, that I have right just like okay sick trem this doesn't really have much trem at all right mm-hmm. um, this is this is very anchored in the low end. It's more rhythm-oriented, I'd say. Than the yeah. sort of stuff. Induced is, in a sense, sort of rhythm-oriented because there aren't melodies, but that's different. <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> just,
0: there's just sounds happening. The rhythm, the happening. rhythm
1: <laughs> yes, yes, the rhythm is eighth-note blast beat. Um, but uh, here... Uh, Here it's more like, this is like for sure, I think you wrote that this is sort of his mosh record. This is definitely more groove oriented, even during the blasting parts. Mm -hmm. And the tone here, the tone here seems different. It's more, um, it's not more polished, really, but it's more solid. Does that seem right? Like, often, often the blasting parts are more corded, and they just sound like, you know, the proverbial bag of bricks.
0: Well, I mean, the, the mixing on this record is bizarre. Uh, this is, I think there's a, a, a real cause to say this might be one of the heaviest records we've ever covered, because yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I think in the uh, uh, in the actual mixing process. So typically, when you're mixing guitars, um, you know, you have a spectrum to lay them out on, and usually, people don't go further than like fifty percent left and fifty percent right to get to create a nice blend in the middle. That's not what happens here. It feels like they're 100% left and 100% right, and you just have this horrifying negative space in the middle that's just controlled mm. by vocals and drums. Mm. And it, it it creates this this awful like jackhammering effect. It feels like you're about to have an aneurysm when you listen to this shit. It's so cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Just insanely brutal. Um, And also, they're just so scooped, they almost lose kind of timbre and tonality. This is oppressively brutal music. I mean, this is like, you know, the black metal guy, he'll say some of these records are an endurance test. A lot of the time, I don't consider it that way. But I'm inoculated to the style, and I can say this record right here is... It's like 35 minutes, and it is excruciating to get through in exactly the right way. (laughs) You know, this is music that is supposed to destroy you, and this record accomplishes that, I
1: would say. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm along for the ride for about 20 minutes, after which it starts to be exhausting.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So, uh... Just so people know what this sounds like, are we going with Thera? You've got a sample off the first track, yeah, so Yeah, but you're the brutal go with that
1: guy. one guy. We should start with you.
0: All right, so uh, I'm going to go a few tracks into uh, a song called The Craving. Uh, also, some background info. This is a record entirely themed after uh, notorious serial killer Edmund Kemper. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, I think he killed... Uh, between, like, seven and ten mostly college-age girls. Um, he was very notable because of, one, his enormous size. He was well over six feet. I think he was approaching six and a half. Oh,
1: shit, six, nine, dude. I just six, nine? <laughs> Jesus Christ,
0: he was that big? Damn. Yeah, he was a big dude. As well as what was believed to be, like, genius-level intelligence, like, you know, 150, 160 IQ. Um, so... Obviously, that combination makes him perfect to do Brutal Death Metal about. <laughs> he's uh, he's one of my favorite of the uh, litany of American serial killers. Uh, so let's go to The Craving. We're going to listen to the first half of that track. And for those who haven't heard our pieces on Induced or Molecular Fragmentation, here is a wonderful example of Oscar Ortega's guitar style. Uh not to give, you know, short shrift to the drum or vocal performances, which will probably speak for themselves. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we, well, say, we say Kind of Blue is a Miles Davis record, right?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, don't forget all the other guys on there. Exactly.
1: So. They're still important, but...
0: <laughs> Let's open up with the craving.
1: fuck man <laughs> that's definitely what the fuck yeah um that's just
0: like it, it's is this the most brutal thing we've ever had on the show like this the, even as a death metal guy like this might be one of the most extreme things we've yeah. ever had
1: it's not the most di- the most in some ways the hmm in some ways the exterminated is less accessible because this is sort of like This record, it's sort of like, well, hey, you said you liked things that were loud and fast and heavy, so here you go,
2: Um, (laughs) right?
1: Uh, um, It's 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 not as kind of um, it's not as deliberately alien as that. Anko is is as obnoxious, but also definitely like catchier. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and has more space in the mix, and you know more of this sort of parts bouncing off each other and stuff. Yeah, this pretty much is just. Um, yeah, I mean, is this is it fair to say that the guitar tone is also walled to like all? Oh like, yeah, God it's a, th- yeah. dude,
2: the
0: the fucking guitar tone is basically a sine wave. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's just like as loud <laughs> as possible, as flat as possible so separated in the mix it barely has anything to do with t- fucking I- bullshit human ideas like tonality or timbre anymore. That's that's over. This is <laughs> the, the guitar tone here is the logical successor to Enmity's guitar tone and the logical successor is what if we did it but louder?
1: <laughs> yeah, like did it with like yeah, yeah. It's just a it's just a convulsing chunk of pure mass.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so anyway, so I I brought up this sample for a reason. So we want to talk about Oscar Ortega's guitar style. Um, so Oscar does something unique in a sense to brutal death metal, but he does it in this very focused way, which is he's got these very complex riffs that are based off these short phrases and uh, to describe them as phrases is interesting they're more like physical gestures on a guitar like uh you know a little flurry of the left hand is a a phrase in Brutal Death and a lot of the time you're not it's not about hitting within a certain key because key and Melody, that's all gone. Everything is purely chromatic.
1: society's constructs, man.
0: Exactly, man. We're getting beyond that by just playing grinding chromatic riffs for four minutes at a time. Um, So uh, that's a technique that a lot of people in Brutal Death use, but Oscar really elevates it to an art form of you've got these micro phrases that are constantly arranged and rearranged in these ways that give them kind of eternal life, in a sense. Uh You're hearing stuff that you've heard before in different places, but the arrangement changes them completely. You know, I, I mean, what would be the black metal equivalent of that, apart from using kind of, like, stock, like, finish phrases to make riffs, you know? Um you have to be the translator for black metal people when we do these
1: sections. Uh, you know? Yeah, so, I, you know, there isn't to that kind of cellular composition where you're sort of recombining, taking a basic thing and then just retransposing and transposing, re- sort of different recombinations of the same idea where it's just being moved up and down um, scales and the notes are being moved around a little bit. I, that, that really is more of a specific death metal thing because death metal is more oriented towards single melodic line rather than mm. harmony. And also to this kind of like, you know, there is this kind of like construct quality to it, right? There's a deliberate artifice to it uh, where there's a sort of, it's it's remote from ideas of melody, which are important to black metal. But I'm trying yeah. to think about what would be sort of, gestural like that i mean the first thing that pops into my head is iljarn um
0: yeah i can see that where
1: there are you know i mean a ton of you know 15 tracks on a record and there are pretty similar riffing ideas in all of them and uh it's just these tiny differences that make the songs but i i don't think there's a really good black metal analog to it is is the answer
0: yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the closest thing, as far as what I know, I, I was talking to Nick Hill, the uh, drummer on this record, about Devourment in particular, about the uh, the first Devourment record, uh, Molesting the Decapitated, which is obviously one of my favorite records of all time. Um, and he was talking about the process of trying to cover a Devourment song off that record, where he said, you know... The riffs aren't really riffs occasionally. Some of the super fast grinding riffs. you're putting your left hand at an approximate place on the fretboard and you're doing a pattern with your fingers. and sometimes they're hitting certain frets, sometimes they're hitting others.
2: Oh that's you're just
0: yeah, you're just doing it really fast. It's more about the gesture, the the pattern occurring rather than specific notes. And I think Oscar has basically taken that methodology and turned it into something you can precisely replicate because he's just that good at guitar.
1: <laughs> oh, you know what would be maybe an analog would just be the more improvisational ideas in black metal. So say the really wandering parts of a, you know, weirder Blaise Birth Hall stuff.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Like like Raven you know, like Dark or something.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Votan Solve, where there's like kind of a riff. There's a riff and then you hear it again and it's the riff is changed and you can't really tell if that's intentional thematic development or kind of just, hey, let's roll with something that sounds kinda like the last riff. You know, like it it um yeah, riffs will iter change as they iterate in this improvisational way. And it's more like Improvising, freely improvising melody Elaborating on a theme But because some of those riffs are so strange And some of the changes in them are so odd They do have a bit of this Just moving the hand around on the fretboard quality
0: Yeah Yeah, I I, I can definitely see that It's just
1: way slower
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh what have you got? Because you got uh, you've got the catchy one off the beginning of this record, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this one has the uh, charming title uh, "Plain Gas Chambers," which I'm guessing is some deep cut reference to Edmund Kemper's uh, childhood pastimes. Um, well, I
0: think I think he was executed via gas chamber, so it might be uh, no- an end at the beginning kind of thing.
1: Oh wait, dude. Um, I don't know. I think he's still alive, man. I'm. I'm. That's. I only know this not because I know about serial killers particularly. I'm sure you know more about serial killers, but I'm just on the wiki, right? Oh now. no, he's still alive. That's correct. No, the cr- The crazy thing is, he requested he turned himself. You know, this. The notes for this record say that it's kind of a. It's like a sort of a tragic story, and you know, in some sense, it seems like he he eventually felt really bad about what he was doing and he turned himself in and he requested the death penalty. And then...
0: Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's true.
1: Depending on... This is the crazy thing, right? Then, because it's fucking California, they end the death penalty. And of course, because it's California, they do this as a mercy to people. But they just say, okay, you get eight concurrent life sentences. So take, take your pick. Is it that like is it that like you know uh he was trying to do the right thing and requested the death penalty because he knew he should be put down and then you know uh the the humanitarian law is like oh no 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 right and sort of inadvertently uh undermines it or is it that the you know the the you know, the law, which is intended as a mercy, a mercy, accidentally inflicts sort of like tenfold punishment on him, which maybe is what he deserves.
0: Well, Kemper has always been an interesting sort of serial killer in that he is extremely aware of, you know, his own compulsions, and mm-hmm. it, it really strikes me as a big surprise, I read a lot about serial killers um, it feels to me that uh, Kemper's actions really were a sort of compulsion outside of himself uh, a a sort of like frantic violence that didn't come from any particular like intent or emotion they just sort of exploded out of him in, in this very strange way I, I, I think it was sort of like incidental that it happened to a guy that was as kind of smart and crafty as him you know so no i i think there is an idea of this sort of tragic story to it this uh i mean you can see the cover art you've got this dismembered girl on the bed and then kemper like grieving over it which is fascinating you know i i love that so anyway playing gas chambers
1: all right so uh yeah this is um to me what stuck out as the catchy one this has a uh a cool mashy part at the end we're gonna start out about a minute in uh you know just imagine the first minute is just pure disaster Do you hear the riff?
0: <laughs> there was a riff in there that I could hear. Um, very good riff, actually. Very, very cool sort of melodic, brutal death riff, as oxymoronic as that may sound to people. Well, that's
1: um, a good example of the kind of Oscar Ortega, war black metal adjacent trem riffing, right? You know, of- I
0: the more that I listen to it, the more that I think that sort of thing is directly from Cryptopsy.
1: That makes sense. I mean, when we listened to that Cryptopsy record, right, I was surprised at how kind of... It doesn't really sound like black metal exactly, but it's very richly melodic and gothic.
0: Yeah. I I think that... uh, I mean, there really was no contemporary to Cryptopsy in the way that they wrote riffs, but I think... The influences of records like None So Vile have borne out in really surprising ways. Um, but after listening to this, especially with the starting point that you chose, so black metal guy for your black metal people, um, who are you know the majority of our listeners, how do you how do you describe the vocal performance on this record? <laughs>
1: Uh, brutal. Uh, no, that's that's a dumb joke. Um, that's uh, I I'll say this. I've listened to a fair amount of brutal death metal now, and this record still sounds like hearing brutal death for the first time. Right? I mean, this yeah. is an important part of this music is shock value. Um, mm-hmm. the, I think we've been on a peak for that, you know, Anker Krakias is an exterminated. We're both quite good at that too, but like I was listening to this, um, you know, I live in apartments and I, I, I have pretty good soundproofing in my room actually. And I listen to whatever I want and whatever. And I assume just, okay, you know, you know, the, the neighbors can handle some pig in hellfire or whatever, but I'm listening to this <laughs> and there are people going and doing the laundry next to me. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, they're going to call the cops on me. <laughs> like, you know, not not because of the noise, but just out of concern, right? Yeah.
2: You
0: know, well, I I can say uh so Paolo uh is a guy that I've hung out with IRL a couple times. He is a very sweet guy. He's he's wonderful, incredible guitarist in addition to being an outstanding vocalist. Um and his performance across this record is outstanding. It's completely fucking inhuman. It has nothing to do with what uh, non-brutal death people would consider vocals. But something uh, something that I would like to really talk about is, uh, you know, I, I'm a guy who does vocals similar to what he does on here. You know, I've played in slam and brutal death bands, and I've done these very gurgly extreme brutal death vocals, but what strikes me about his performance, and I can hear it, is the ferocity with which he does it. Because, you know, I'll do a lot of, like, sort of inhaled, gurgled vocals, and he may or may not be inhaling. That's kind of immaterial. That's a uh, a political scene thing in the brutal deathmobile scene. It's like, oh, are you doing inhales or exhales? But I'm guessing a lot of this stuff is inhaled, but it's done with such an intensity, like I can feel my gut oh. cramp up while he does it.
1: Yeah, because that's something that black metal people and more sort of old school death metal people or whatever don't like about this stuff, right? It's like inhales are, at worst, inhales are, and I think this is true of some of them, like inhales are obviously a stylistic manner. It makes sense in the genre, I get it, but they're kind of... um a lot is they're not really aggressive vocals and they're a lot about gaming the microphone, right? So Yeah, it's, it's more
0: about tonality than it yes. is volume.
1: Yeah. So people don't like them for that reason, for the same reason they don't like the brie brie. So uh, mm-hmm. it is unusual to hear someone doing it so forcefully. How would you compare that to, and I mean, it's hard to generate power that way, right? Like
0: It's extremely difficult because I do a lot of inhaled vocals and... Mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing is, inhaled vocals, uh, in the Brutal Death style anyway, they tend to sound better the more relaxed you are. You know, the less force you're putting on them, you, you get a better tone.
2: <laughs> <gasps>
0: you know, just uh, very relaxed. Because the tighter you get, the greater the chance of you kind of like squelching it out or kind of breaking. It it requires you to be very relaxed, very chilled out. What about the chance of out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> do, you, not do you ever just issue. swallow
1: too much air and barf?
0: Um. <laughs> oh no, 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 that that hasn't been an issue. Uh, I'll cough a lot when I first start doing it, or uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just as my throat's acclimating to the feel again. But no, no, barfing hasn't been an issue unless I drink too much, which is standard for a brutal death. But uh, but the i the idea of doing it as intensely as he's doing, cause you can hear the like. You can hear the strain in the vocals, which makes it sound that much more insane and brutal. You know, it's fucking killer.
1: <laughs> How would you compare it? So I remember also being impressed by the vocals for Oncocorchiasis, which were, which were a little more upfront,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: And has some more classically death metal quality. I think those are more kind of overtly aggro vocals to mm-hmm. some degree. But And they're kind of all over the place. How do you compare these two performances? Because, I mean, these vocals are so kind of gurgly that, you know, they're just not what I notice when I listen to it, right?
0: Yeah, no, on- Oncogersiasis is a variation. It's a blend of, like, exhaled and inhaled vocals. Mm-hmm. But I think... Well, this is my guess. But uh, I think on his inhaled, like, the gurgliest, kind of wettest stuff, he's mm-hmm. way more relaxed than Paolo is here. You know? Because usually that's how you get the richness in tone for that sort of thing. He's, he's a lot more chilled out. I, I've seen Paolo perform live a couple times and I don't think he's physically capable of relaxing. The man is just going, going, going at 300 beats a minute, regardless of how fast the song is. He is just going and uh, it, it fits him that his performance here is just that extreme.
1: Cool. All right. So, uh, so Also, um, the big part of that sample for me was obviously the totally monged out pseudo breakdown. Oh, there's was, some
0: great kind of breakdown stuff on this Which record.
1: was really not a slam. It was like a breakdown, but it was just kind of this like, horrifying mockery of breakdowns. It was like a breakdown played by someone who hates breakdowns, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, I can see that. Oh, oh yeah, you want a breakdown? Okay, so it's kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, what have you got up next?
1: Um, Headless and No Personality. <laughs> These titles, man. Um... <laughs> uh. Um, this is just, uh, I don't know, some more brutal shit. This is about 35 seconds in. Like, that's, like, the center of the record. Oh, that one? Kinda, yeah. Maybe, like... I mean, it's definitely one of the peak-intensity moments.
0: Yeah, I feel like the the front end and the back end they have, like, three-track sequences that are super strong. I mean, the middle is great, too, but the peaks are at the beginning and the end for me.
1: Okay. Well, so, during that part, um, man, I mean, I... There, I think I just try to focus on the stuff with the rhythmic action, and so a cool thing that this band does a lot. Um, also, did it on just the song just before this on "Talk to Her or Her Head on a Stick?" Question um, <laughs> mark. The top.
0: That's questions. a. That's a. no, that's a. That's a direct quote from Edmund Kemper, you know, uh, mm-hmm. talking about, you know, I see a pretty girl on the street. Yeah, this is a, a classic serial killer quote, which is. You know, I see a pretty girl in the street and I wonder, you know do I want to talk to her and maybe date her or do I want to see her head on a stick? You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are these moments where they, where they'll sort of, the guitars will start gesturing towards a breakdown idea and the drums will keep moving under it in this kind of more open, circular way. So sort of like, it has a very heavy, head breakdown effect, but the drums are constantly pushing you past the places in the rhythm you'd expect. Does that make sense? Like Yeah. In, in I mean, obviously... Of a, instead of doing like a breakbeat double bass kind of idea or whatever, the drums, the guitars are playing breakdown figures, and the drums, they're not still... It's not like a chug blast, right? The guitars aren't... Bl- the drums aren't blasting, but they're like kind of rolling through each section, and then that sets up a more properly breakdown passage.
0: Yeah, and obviously, I mean, just branching off that, we would be remiss not to talk about Nikhil's drum performance on this record, which is oh, holy shit. Oh, is Nikhil shit. drumming
2: on this?
0: Nikhil is drumming on this. and oh, shit.
2: Cool.
0: Obviously, his, his performance on the Anal Stab Wound record was outstanding, but it was, you know... 60% of what he's doing here which is these blast beats are easily 300 beats a minute a lot of the time and they're so smooth and yet they convey so much like nervous panicked energy it's a it's a wonderfully musical drum performance they're say.
1: definitely smooth. I hear that. That's kind of the thing I was pointing to under those in those kind of breakdowny parts. The drums are like flowing underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was cool. And then you know the part with the big, the you know there was almost this one of my favorite sort of brutal death is secretly creator moments. There was one like that. <laughs> you know some kind of a Phrygian scale shit an octave up and then some a Phrygian scale stuff All right, that was good um and then you get that sick pinch harmonic part and then towards the end of that sample it moves back towards that more melodic Ortega stuff the signature stuff
0: yeah no it's um I, I feel like uh you know I, I I didn't ask him this on the uh the interview we just did but uh I feel like he was probably highly influenced by Flo Monnier of Cryptopsy, as well as he spoke about having kind of like a a jazz and classic rock background when it comes to Mm -hmm. drumming, which is his first instrument, actually. Which... uh psychologically destroyed me to know that he's only been playing guitar for like five years and he's 30 times better than I am after 15 years. But uh, no, it's like it, it's it's wonderfully musical. It's got uh, You know, I, 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 I like to talk about, uh, especially in Brutal Death Metal, guys where it's like you could listen to the drums alone and it would feel like a complete song. And I would say he really accomplishes that a lot on this record, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had no idea that was him. So it's really, this is really an all-star cast.
0: It really is. These, I I feel like this is like three of the absolute... Is it absolute, just
1: three or is there a bassist?
0: Uh, it's just the three. I, I'm assuming Oscar probably did bass on this or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Or maybe there's no bass. It it would be very hard to tell. (laughs) Come
1: to think of it, I didn't really hear one. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just unbelievably downtuned guitar. So. (laughs) So uh, speaking of uh, crazy drum performances and crazy timing in general, uh, let's go to the second to last track. My last sample called "A Friendly Nuisance." Um, So there's going to be some lead-up stuff here. Uh, we're basically going to the end of the track. But uh, obviously, what you're going to pay attention to is uh, the absolutely fucking crazy timing stuff that happens in the middle of this sample. Which is, I'll explain it a little bit when I, you know, after we're done. But pay attention for the yeah. very bizarre timing stuff that happens, very similar to what we heard on the Metheroma record. Uh, a few weeks back.
1: cats get them off me <laughs>
0: <laughs> backwards cats that that's a good way to describe that
1: <laughs> that that purr that horrible like reverse lawnmower purr that went off at the end sort of I uh, i can't even imit- I, I, I can't imitate it you know
0: it's more like it's more like an inside out cat you know?
1: That's kind of I, I, yeah. I meant it to be sort of color. You know, you can leave something
2: to the imagination. Um,
0: so so obviously the centerpiece there is that insane off time part, which is one of my favorite moments on this record. Um, and which
1: part was that? I can't count
0: that dun 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 oh, and the Yeah,
1: I I I loved that. That that's another yeah, so oh that's not like fancy off time, is it? That's just like breakdown off time.
0: It's 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 fancy off time when you put it all together because the drums and the guitar are sliding and like about an eighth note ahead of or behind each other and they'll mm. swap the positions uh, through an extended fill or something like that. Um, so it it's one of those things that doesn't sound flashy at all, but I can tell you as a guy who's done shit like that before, it is insanely difficult to do. Like, this is a place
1: l- where we could meme it, you know? It's like, what the death metal guy hears, and then like, what the black metal guy hears.
2: Pantera riff go
0: yeah, it's kind of like a Pantera riff. It's a it's it's a big chug riff, but the placement of those notes is extraordinarily difficult to do. And I, this is I, one place where this being an internet project might make it a little bit easier because they're just doing it to a click track. Doing this live would be fuck, man. That would be really hard.
1: <laughs> well, if you did it live, it would just sound like the Pantera version. But uh um, I I can hear that there is, I can hear the, I mean, I could hear that the timing was very precise and tight on that. I just couldn't hear the specific rhythmic effects. Um, It's, but I really like that. Again, that seems to be a characteristic of this band, which makes it stand out that I like. These, these are not slams. They are breakdowns, but they're like breakdowns done with a kind of. Extraordinary minimalism and kind of like the chugs are played like slam chugs. They're kind of choked chugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and again, this quality of like, I mean, that's, you know, Pantera would use more notes, right? This is more austere. Yeah. Again, it's this idea of like some some guy who hates who hates breakdowns, like tries to make fun of them and comes up with something like that. But the point is, it's brilliant. How's it going? Connor here from
2: Oncology and you're listening to Terminus.
0: Alright, we're back uh, from uh, some brutal death and uh, forgot to mention on the show that uh, one of our close buddies on the internet, the Bull God, uh, recommended that we cover the Undeciphered record. Uh, Obviously it was, you know, it was uh, within my sights, so to speak, but he gave us that push to really consider it, and hey, shout out to the Bull God for uh, for rapping it for the uh, brutal death fam. But hail let's go Bull. a little bit, hail Bull. Let's. Uh, but right now, let's go a little bit more old school to wrap up the night with a uh, Tiradero de Cadavres. The Glorious Entrance to the Spiritual Trance on Iron Blood and Death Corporation, which uh, seems to be a label just concentrated on local Mexican extreme metal. Uh, Definitely want to check out more of what these guys have put out. Um, So Tiradero de Cadavres is a project by uh, a one man over in Mexico, who uh, I'm a little bit familiar of uh, previous stuff he's done. And uh, so for this project, he goes by the name Black Serpent. He's gone under a dozen different names and a dozen different projects. And he's usually flittered around to the outer edges of what would be considered sort of uncool, black or death metal. Uh, he's <laughs> done a lot of, uh, well, you know, I say that affectionately. No, I know what um, you mean.
1: Yeah. So like, he's done, lifters, like trench coat. Is that a fair, like,
0: something, uh, a trench coat, but not in the original 2000 sense. Um mm-hmm. He's done a lot of uh, like DSBM. He's done a lot of like noise black stuff as well as just weird drone or ambient stuff. He's definitely on the, uh, the outer edges of what is socially acceptable (laughs) what is within the overton window of extreme metal (laughs) oh
1: so sort of difficult cult black metal of the style that is not
2: currently fashionable
0: yeah and he's he's done all sorts of things for a lot of years i i mean i remember first encountering his stuff maybe 10 to 13 years ago i mean we were in touch a little bit back in the day but uh just a uh, very interesting music, you know. He's an an experimental guy at heart. He likes the uh, the weirdest edges of uh, extreme metal, and I was very happy to cover this. You know, I I found this without knowing his involvement, and this has ended up being a a really exciting record to me because I I think that this sort of This is a record which, uh, you know, this might be dramatic, but this justifies the sort of dissonant death metal thing um, in a way that other stuff hasn't. Obviously, there are incredible dissonant death metal bands. The most obvious is going to be Ulcerate. Um, As far as what we've considered on the show, I would say stuff like Ad Nauseam or Astral Tomb are outstanding uh, bands in that niche. But I think this proves that, okay, the dissonant death metal thing has legs to produce wonderful stuff on the underground that a lot of people won't appreciate because I think this is, I think this is an outstanding record. Um, uh, what what did you make of this one?
1: Well, I think I sort of, I think I sort of, uh, I, I think I sort of Blew my load brain-wise earlier in this show, but, um, all I can say, you know, this one is, uh, fucking sick. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, really, really like this. Um, this strikes me as an important record, right? Uh, yeah, as you say, it's like brutal death stuff, or sorry, uh, dissonant death stuff being incorporated into a much more primitive death metal framework, um... A lot of the reason death metal, death metal people don't really like something as extreme as brutal death is that a lot of the characteristic gestures in brutal death have virtually nothing to... I mean, there's an ancestral relationship, but it's very hard to figure out what they have to do with normal death metal. Um, The kind of kicks you get from, you know, uh, 16th note, chugged 16th note runs and sort of uh, polyrhythmic slams is different Mm -hmm. from right the kind of kicks you get from just bang your head to death metal this has uh, this has the sort of extreme dissonance and harmonic nuance of the modern disso death stuff it has the it's totally gnarly in a way that brutal death is the vocals are very brutal death and yet it has the visceral kicks of old-school death metal, and it's raw, extraordinarily raw. And I think I think black metal people... I th- you know, I mean, obviously, if you mostly listen to sort of flowy, highly melodic black metal, you will not appreciate this, but uh, if you like Marduk or Iljarn or whatever, I think you'll like this.
0: Yeah, this is... Uh... You know, we, we've we gone back and forth talking about how, you know, a lot of the advent kind of ideas in death metal are just death metal bands doing black metal things. And this is a case of a death metal band doing black metal things, but still resolutely death metal in a very important way. Like you cannot mistake this for black metal if you're informed. Um, this is, uh, I would say, the, the the prominent influences here are going to be entombed in a lot of the kind of like slow sort of hardcore breakdown riffing, uh, morbid angel in the weird dissonant kind of uh, elaborate spiraling tremolo riffs, and. Again, Cryptopsy, uh, which is something we've noticed a little bit in uh, kind of like Spanish in, you know, Spanish in the broader sense, uh, you know, not to reduce it to South American uh, death metal stuff where Cryptopsy seems to be an important influence uh, as far as that merger of old school death metal structuring and hyper modern incisive riffing and breakdowns. Um, but there's also this huge influence of modern dissonant death metal here, and uh, but what makes this so cool is that it feels like this is not a a pure fusion of these two things. It feels as though somebody like Trey Azigtote was teleported from 1993 around Covenant, Era Morbid mm-hmm. Angel, into 2021. And he heard Ulcerate and Disentune, and he was like, this is pretty cool. They're tuned, like, way lower and shit. How can I use some of these weird melodic ideas in my own stuff? This feels so natural. This feels like it could have been, like, unearthed from 1996 in a wonderful way.
1: Yeah. um, It's... uh. Yeah, I mean, obviously it would have been a breakthrough for '96, but I think yes, I think this hits on a thing, which is why do people imagine this discontinuity between the co- the most crazy Morbid Angel stuff and the disso Death stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, arguably, because I know... the
1: most crazy uh, uh, Trey Asikote solo is arguably still crazier than most Disson Death metal. Yeah, that's true. It, and yes, if 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 Trey was not so focused on professional drinking, this is something like what He's, doing.
0: <laughs> he's still a better guitarist than anyone, so <laughs> that's fine. So here's I'm gonna go with my first sample. And here is any of the black metal guys listening to this, I mean, this is probably after this I won't say this anymore. But if you're a black metal guy who listens to this show for the latest updates and cool black metal stuff here's why you should listen to death metal here's my last note on that topic i will assume from here out that you understand it uh, this is off a track called only death is real all caps with an exclamation point and you're gonna hear a lot of stuff but i want you to pay attention to the opening two riffs you're gonna have a huge sort of orthodox style black metal riff to begin And then it's going to merge seamlessly into a sort of cryptopsy, none so vile, maybe like Benedictine convulsion style breakdown before breakdowns were a thing that were firmly established. Uh, So we're going to go right from the top of this track. Let's fucking do it. Let's slam. So I'm going to make a, uh, an extremely spicy take, which is that second riff in the sample, the <laughs> is very possibly the single sickest riff we've ever featured on Terminus. That is everything I want in extreme metal. That is perfect. That's perfect music right there.
1: I certainly... Yeah, I don't know if I can agree. Obviously, I can't agree. It's As the black metal guy, I can't agree it's the sickest riff. Um, however, certainly up there, um, that is a ridiculously sick riff. So one thing is you don't usually hear people playing with pinch harmonics using raw production and more sort yeah. of old-school-style intervals. There you go. Um, and what the drums are doing under it is really makes it which is like you've got um as you would would use the word bespoke it's a blast but it's perfectly tailored for the rhythm of that phrase i don't think there's any fancy thing in the time signature but he's accenting different you know he's accenting different stuff rhythmically breaking up the blast just a little bit in this way that makes it uh It's very, very fast, but it has a very particular movement to it.
0: Yeah, it's... um, So, obviously, the opening varies... uh, This is something I'll get into a little bit later, but I think it's worthy of talking about now. Uh, You know, we've talked about the influence of Orthodox black metal on death metal and on everything, really. I mean, you can't ignore it. But one of my ideas that I've really been turning over in my head which is uh, you know a a lot of people talk about Deathspell Omega as the origin of these ideas totally fair yeah I can see that but I think ultimately the most influential entity in Orthodox Black Metal is probably Aosoth you know uh, as far as what a lot of bands chasing after that sound actually sound like I think it's Aosoth more than anything. Would you agree?
1: I was thinking, I saw that in the notes. I I don't, I think that might. I think it's just that we like Aosoth best of those bands. Um,
2: (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. And
1: I also think this band in particular is not the right example for that because I think that passage, Aosoth is massive and slow moving even when they're objectively playing fast, and uses big sheet chords for dissonance, yeah. that kind of thing is way closer to something on Paracletus in terms of just, like, sort of fractured, broken rhythm, kind of, uh... uh Pericletus is actually pretty raw, in terms of the production, you just yeah. don't notice, because there's so much going on. Um, sort of, uh... These, these sort of broken, spiked tones that are colliding with each other in a kind of heart attack-inducing way... That's a little closer to a Paracletus thing, I think. Um, Do I agree with you that... I think it's certainly true that a lot of the best stuff in that genre sounds more like Aesoth, but I I feel like this band is... This band emphasizes, like, pinches and uh, shrieking sounds and high fretboard things and sort of these little rhythmic convulsions that I think is... Different from the sort of like steady, rolling, majestic kind of like Godflesh with blast beats thing. No.
0: I I can see that. I I mean definitely we are I mean, for people who haven't heard the show before, we basically both agree that asoth is the greatest of the orthodox black metal bands.
3: Arrowhead.
0: Only thing that challenges that is like for me, the first couple funeral mist records which I think are extremely underrated, in a way. Uh, they used to be very cool back in the day, but now no one talks about Funeral Mist anymore.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: <clears throat> so, they went uh, from
1: overrated to underrated. like instantly. Yeah,
0: it was weird. Like People yeah. were fucking hyped about them, originally, yeah. and then they just, like, it was like nobody cared anymore. But uh, So, we're, I want to get to your first sample, but then you said uh, something wonderful in the notes talking about how Confused and shocked and elated you were uh, when you read my notes on the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for those who don't know, we have a spreadsheet where we talk about uh, new records we're going to cover on the following episodes. And uh, I describe this as uh, concrete Winds as mid-90s prog death with a totally bizarre vocal performance.
1: Oh, and, I didn't even see that. I was talking about on this sheet. But yeah, that's right. In terms of... um,
0: Is it actually like Concrete Winds? That was oh, like yeah. my it, essence, but yeah, Concrete Winds is so unusual.
1: Yes, so this is... Re- There's a new territory emerging of things that are kind of like war metal, but don't work like it. Um... <laughs> or are constructed from different parts um concrete winds is for sure my benchmark for that but we would also put that um induced record we were talking about from brutal death so some stuff from it's a territory a lot of things are converging on called you know uh make the most horrifying apocalyptic racket possible all, <laughs> while, all while remaining anchored in a primordial, really fundamental reptile brain sense of heavy metal kicks. Um, yeah, It's it's this quality of um, achieving something sort of new and disastrous by being really tapped into the primordial energy. It's um, spite-extreme. Yeah. There's a great spite-extreme quote, which is uh, the goal is not to be original but to be originary.
2: To mm. be sort of,
1: to have yeah. the, the energy... To have a relation to the origin and it's through that that you get this sense of newness you know you're going everything at the present is what it is it's sort of uh it's, it's sort of fixed and you're returning to the past to bring a new future about and a lot of these this band has that quality very much where like like you said it hypothetically almost could have happened in the 90s um yeah i
0: mean it's one of the things that i would compare this to Obviously in a much oh, and more just for prime... the listeners,
1: like Concrete Winds is, it sounds horrifying like this, but Concrete Winds works like, songs are basically structured like, uh, you know, kind of like Creator and Repulsion songs, right? Where this is, you know, and these songs are basically structured, as you point out, like old school death metal songs, but what I was totally unprepared because I read, oh, it sounds like Disso Death and old school death metal, And like, and you know, when you first hear it, it sounds nothing, superficially sounds nothing like old school death metal, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. this is sort of catastrophic in a very different way, but I can hear exactly what you mean structurally
2: now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, to simplify it even further for listeners, Concrete Winds sounds like old school death metal Played by aliens who only had access to, like, Master and Deathstrike records.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: But they did it back in 1988, and everything went horribly wrong. And uh, it ended up in the end of the world somehow.
2: Yeah, and, <laughs> and
1: somebody told them about blast beats. Yeah, they had yeah, only yeah. Master... They had only Master and Deathstrike records and, like, Discharge, but, like, the noise parts from Discharge. Somebody told them about Blast Beats, and they uh, produced the guitars to wipe the tonality from everything. Uh, yeah,
0: it's it's the coolest, most awful shit in the world. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, and so this is very much like that. And I think, I mean, I love that record. That's one of my favorite recent records. This is pretty much on a par with that. Like, Concrete Winds for oh, my... Sp- Concrete Winds, I think in quality. Concrete Winds is more my thing, right? Because it's, it's got this, you know, punky, black-metal-y retard quality to it. Mm-hmm. But but this, you know, this sort of squalling speed metal leads and shit. But this is equally good, and I think just as new.
0: Um, well, I, I'm glad you like it so much, man. So,
1: Yeah, dude, so here we go. So here, basically, like, parts of this record... You can hear more like the cryptopsy relationship and stuff and the orthodox thing on his sample. Parts of this record sound more quote unquote normal. But when I'm expecting like Ulcerate meets Morbid Angel and a little bit more rough, and then the album opens like this,
0: is uh very extreme
1: (laughs) That that is yes this is terminus extreme metal podcast and that is extreme metal
0: yeah that is extreme metal that is uh that is i i love that so for most of it it has nothing to do with anything we understand as like black or death metal riffing it is totally on
1: its own in space you know, you would, you know, would kind of hear those tones in some dis death records, right? But, like, not used as instruments of blunt trauma in the same way. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you've got these things that usually occur in more complex forms or more textural forms and with nicer production being used with just these sort of convulsive mosh rhythms that are, I mean, really most of those patterns have mo- except for the blast almost everything there has a mosh feel to it
0: it's- yeah it's like it's like this is this is the ultimate galaxy brain what if disso death that you could beat the shit out of your friends too in the yeah,
1: pit? yeah well the fu- the funny thing is that the proper breakdown happens with the, the the first sort of regular riff is the last one which sounds just like a you know that's a pretty riff for this record which is like a regular ulcerate riff Right, And that is the part where you windmill
0: Oh, the last riff?
1: Yeah, the last riff was like Yeah, that, that felt like the halftime breakdown to me
0: Well, that would, that would point to something that I also talked about Later in the notes Which is That, to me, is a very uh, Blood-oss-Nord thing uh, Back when they were a big deal Around, you know, the work which transforms God you know, that's some that's some mid-2000s cool guy shit that's been completely forgotten, even though it's very instrumental to everything in highly dissonant black and death metal since.
1: Uh, to the extent that people remember it, people remember the... Uh... To the extent that people remember it, people remember mostly the Memoria of Itusta stuff.
0: Yeah, which is weird because I remember back in the day, the work which transforms got there was a period where that was the biggest record in extreme metal, you know? That was defining to a whole lot of people. And then it's amazing how quickly it was forgotten. And I've played uh, the following record Mort on this show before. You, you remember that like horrible clanking industrial stuff where it was like it's just the worst intervals possible. <laughs> you
1: know? I think so. Yeah.
0: But yeah, yeah it's so um... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, so so did, did Blood House Norton use breakdown rhythms like that? Uh,
0: stuff? Rhythms that would probably be accidentally there but not with the intent that this guy yeah, yeah, does yeah. it.
1: Dude, but also the riff before that that sort of screaming sort of You know, that was like the... Sort of... That was like the... Extreme death metal version of a... Pagan black metal drone riff. That was like the dissonant... Like, frenzied dissonant version of like a... uh, Single string over drone Graveland or Horna riff. Just like cranked to like four times the tempo. Mm -hmm. And just awful yeah Um, it's like i love that that was really. oh no
0: part of what makes this record so great is how fucking terrible it sounds in the the right way it's just like everything on this album is just awful feeling and sounding this is just nightmare music from beginning to end you know
1: yeah, it's just how do you make dissonance sound? It's 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 using this The diso bands use it in this kind of more abstract, atmospheric way. Uh, they're using it to be, and it generates a kind of difficulty and strangeness. Mm-hmm. Maybe complexity. Here, they're using disson. They're using those riff forms, but they're using dissonance in the way that the elemental extreme metal bands did, which is they're using it to bludgeon people right? Like, yeah. dissonance, basically extreme metal dissonance starts with Discharge, and every single interval is selected to sound like you're getting hit in the head, right? Or yeah, um, and I Master and yeah, Strike will play like a rock and roll riff and then crank it down by a half step and kind of cackle, right? Um,
0: yeah, no, I, I think that's one of the important things and that's one of the things that makes this death metal rather than black metal, is that it is uh... You are being attacked by this music. There, mm-hmm. there is like an artistic idea behind it, but the immediate impulse is to assault the listener. You're supposed to feel tortured by these riffs. You're, you know. Yeah, but it also
1: just sounds sick in the way that an ulcerate riff doesn't. You know what I mean? But it, like but these it are sounds just really sick. Heavy intervals.
0: Yeah, but it sounds sick in a way that a lot of people won't be able to get. Sure, you know, sure. it, it's, it's you know, taste. I I could see people rejecting this outright. Even though, I mean, to people like you and me, this is like immediately so fucking cool. You
1: know, <laughs> you know it's like the other thing that's relevant, right? Is oh here, I'll let's I'll get us to our next, my next sample. Um, uh this is, uh, the next, this is track Fuego Luz Obscuridad and th- the other thing that's big here is, uh which you brought up on a recent band is hearing Hellhammer as death metal Yeah Which yeah. is, I think, a big step to recovering what was actually good about Hellhammer Um, uh, and so this is from towards the back end of this track, uh here we go. Uh, we get Genty brutal death, shakes hands with Hellhammer. Ouroboros bites his tail. The cycle is complete.
0: <laughs> Let's go. Death metal and extremely modern, at the same time.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, it's like realizing there's all sorts of cool potential in the gent idea of there's these extreme bends and like abusing single string tone and shit. But at the other end of the spectrum, there was Hellhammer doing that. Like, I yeah. get the gent thing because of Hellhammer, right? Uh, and this is. Uh, you know, the dumb thing about Gent is well the well, the the V neck t shirts and emo haircuts and the processed line in guitar tone and the progressive riffs and the uh, well I could go on. But um <laughs> but like that just I mean, a lot of that is the, the the anchoring tone there isn't a power chord, right? It's just a single string being struck in this sort of just like thwong Kind of way, right?
0: Yeah, I I think this was done on a seven or eight string guitar, mm-hmm. where that he sense. wasn't he wasn't typically using the the bottom string for riffing. He mm-hmm. was using it as an accent, um, which is where you get those those huge like wafting, just like it, it's almost like using it like a like a bass drop or something, you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: It, it, it's it's like you've got these riffs with the essence of you know going back to primordial stuff i would say that like repulsion or terrorizer like early grindcore stuff really embodies that essence of like primordial death black thrash grind you know beyond any genres um Cause like while I was playing, I was like, "You were like, oh, this is a quote of something, one of those okay, riffs." Okay, yeah, so it's a
1: the fast riff. So, that's a quote of something or very close to it. Maybe it's from Rain and Blood, but
0: well, I mean, it's it, it's pretty close to like the uh,
3: I swear, the, I, I, I the I, I darkness
0: descends intro riff is kind of like that yeah, but no,
1: I'm talking about literally this riff, like very close. I I mean that could be like an
0: old like creator like endless pain riff, you know, or like uh like early Sodom or something.
1: I know. I'm gonna figure out what it is because I I think it's on something that I listen to a lot, and I don't know what. Okay.
0: But clearly just based off that he's accessing something very primordial here, which is beyond these ideas of death and black metal um you know he's and this is something we've talked about on the show a lot which is like some of our favorite stuff are you know guys accessing stuff like this obviously because of the sort of like Spanish language connection I have to bring up the uh, Forgotten Tomb record. I was going to mention that
1: too. Hell Yeah, Hammer we covered
0: that last year. Yeah, yeah, Hellhammer is death metal. Uh, for those who haven't heard, Forgotten Tomb, not the band you're thinking of, the DSBM band, but the primordial Death Black Thrash project from, I believe it was a, was a Peruvian or Chilean?
1: Peru or Chile, one of the long ones.
0: <laughs> let, let me check it out one of the long uh, boys <laughs> one of those long boys uh, Chilean project um, uh, the, he did a record called Death is Just Another Path which was outstanding and we really liked it last year um, but he accessed a similar avenue of primordial extreme metal which is something we're starting to hear a lot and kind of like Hipsterish bands these days. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to be an asshole, but um, clearly, Forgotten Tomb—that was a guy who got it, you know. And I think this guy gets it in a similar way. And I think a lot of uh, like South or Central American bands, you know, extending up to Mexico, they're getting a lot of those same ideas, and they're really taking it forward in a cool way.
1: That's for sure. I mean, in in a lot of ways, those were the guys who preserved the old school sound when it was very unfashionable. Yeah. And so it makes sense that they're just not drawing any distinction between that and newer stuff. But yeah, it's like, how do you make stuff that really sounds like death metal and really sounds like it could have come out in 1993 or something uh in some ways at least but would have been very distinctive would have been shocking at the time i mean how do you do it well you listen to stuff from 1988 right uh, yeah. <laughs> you're not like this guy is familiar with morbid angel and writes some riffs that sound like morbid angel riffs but he's also listening to the things morbid angel was listening to or like listening, as you say like terrorizer proto morbid angel right
0: well, yeah definitely um so to tie things up, we'll go to the final track on the record, the, uh, the title track, The Glorious Entrance to the Spiritual Trance. And I think this is going to tie together all these ideas of, you know, proto-extreme metal, blood nord modern, dissonant ideas, all together in a, a really neat package. So, uh, well, let's check this one out.
1: Oh, that was a riff.
0: That was a fucking riff. And what is the riff, as you mentioned while we were talking?
1: The Meow Mix theme song. Meow, 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 Yeah,
0: yeah. It was like, and I remember back in the day, people would make fun of shit for sounding like that. And now it's just like cool fucking dissonant death metal shit
1: (laughs) well you know it's no I mean right so just playing the first bottom the four bottom frets of the guitar right is taken to be a basic, basic way of generating extreme dissonance but because of that everybody stopped doing it Hellhammer did it all the time and they would actually the thing that is The thing that they would do that would make it different from the... I I remember I could never listen to Equamanthorn by Bathory the same after someone on Metal Archives pointed out it was literally the Jaws theme. Um, (laughs) But but, like the reason Hellhammer could do that well was that they would... Oh, this is something from black metal that uses brutal death-like cellular composition. The riffs on Messiah, for instance, that are not the Chug riff, take that four-part Chromatic Descent and move it just all over to create a arcing kind of melodic anti-melodic progression yeah Um, and so Hellhammer do that really dumb sliding chromatic thing but they're giving they're not using that's not the riff that's a part of the riff right and the riff is just different iterations of that all over and (laughs) this is actually a lot closer to the Miamix theme song but it's sick
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, a, here we get back. Uh, you know, I always think of it as like demented circus music. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, they bust out a. I was cackling at a riff that comes out right after that, where they it sort of spits into a variation on it. Right, where where. It
0: no, it's a. Again. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. I uh, I I mean that kind of riff exists for a reason, and like you were saying, it's like he's accessing that again. You know, this this thing that everyone threw off as too yes. basic and too dumb. Yeah. He was like, uh, I don't think so. Let's just fucking do this, but even more horrible than you remember. Like, there's something... Yeah, it's
1: one thing. If you're using it as a substitute for the ability to write riffs, that's one thing. But if you can write riffs and you're using it as a strategy, it's another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a guy who... I think even unknown to him uh, has ingested an unbelievable amount of influence and knowledge from so much stuff from all over the extreme metal and grind spectrum and he has folded it together in this wonderful slash horrible way that makes it honestly like more extreme than almost anything out there. It, it it's, it's so... I mean, we talk about dissonant death in black metal. You know, we talk about, ooh, really ugly intervals, bro. But does any of it compare to this? Is any of it as extreme and ugly and primitive and horrible as this?
1: No, I mean... You could hear... You can hear intervals this ugly on uh, Astral Tomb or Ad nauseum or whatever, but uh, this is just... Yeah, I mean, really, there are very few things that are this extreme. I mean, uh, Concrete Winds, uh, I would say maybe Oncocirchiasis, although it's not as raw, so for me, that mm-hmm. counts as less extreme, I think, because yeah. uh, I'm raw biased. Um, uh, this is... um, Yeah, v- very few things... Um. And, you know, I think people have said, a few people have said different versions of this that, like, sometimes we, like, hype everything too much on this show. Or, like, it can be a little hard to tell what we really like because we, we can be positive about a lot of things. It seems like we're hyping a lot of stuff. Well, partly that's because we're excitable. Sure. Um, <laughs> partly that's because we're going out of our way to try to bring you the most distinctive things we can, things that we are actually excited about, right? It's like Yeah, yeah. Know, if, if it's, a lot of stuff is on the show because we think it really stands out. But, like, when we're saying that this is some of the most extreme shit we've heard, like, it lately, like, I mean, it really is. Like, again, like, I would put this up there with, in terms of sheer being moving in parallel to music while doing everything you want from an engaging heavy metal record, this is just uh, the Concrete Wins is the only thing on this level
0: yeah and maybe we finally found something that can at least in part challenge it